Hello and welcome to another episode of the Pioneer Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be covering a lot of new things going on in Pioneer. I'm actually really excited about the decks that are showing up because it's like the third or fourth week in a row, Ross, that the format's just like drastically changing and it's like self-correcting itself and self-policing itself. I, I love it. It is very strange, um, honestly, because we had sort of we had sort of fallen into a rut pre-Ecoria, right? Where that high, that triumvirate of Heliod, uh, Inverter, and um, not, it wasn't Breach, but like Spirits, I guess. Spirits was really popular. It's just like way at the top of the format. Nothing really changed uh, outside of like the emergence of Heliod as being very good um, after those players tours. And then Ikoria came and it sort of seemed like we were just going to get into a different rut, right? With what Luris and, and Yorian and while I agree Lurus and Yorian have been overly represented over the course of their time in Pioneer, you know, outside of those two specific cards appearing in a lot of different decks, the format has changed a lot. You know, it's a lot of Lurus decks, a lot of Yorian decks, but they're different Lurus and Yorian decks as the time has gone on. And this last week, you're right, is just yet another week where things are completely different. You know, two weeks ago, we talked all about Absent Rally, and that deck didn't put up a single top eight across the four major events online this weekend, this week. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we'll talk about all that in a second. And, and for people who heard me say, you, you don't really, you know, spirits fell off the map. There's something we're going to talk about on the show today that I actually think could lead to spirits being back on the menu, boys, as this, this saying goes sometime soon. So we'll get into what that just that? a little bit. Oh, no, no, no. It, it, I don't mean like tomorrow. I mean like eventually. It's 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 a roundabout thing. We'll get there. We'll, we'll get, get there. Burying the lead, well, Ross. I don't know where your tannin's going with this. Well, just, you know what? A lot of times they either fall flat on my face or I say something and you're like, you know, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, one of those things happens a lot more often than the other. Yeah, I make a lot of sense, Ross. <laughs> you're right. But anyway, <laughs> let's talk about this. How was your week? Uh, well, that was the same old shit. Yeah, I know, We're right? all sitting at home. Fewer people are sitting at home than they should. You know, since that, uh, you know, Virginia is one of the many states that's doing a sort of phased reopening. And since it started, I feel like everybody is just like, okay, everything's fine now. I'm, and they're like going along, you know, restaurant, it's not 100%. Like restaurants are open at like 25% capacity. A lot of them aren't even open inside. They've just set up a bunch of patio seating. That's what a lot of ones downtown. I haven't been to any, but, uh, but every time I go out now, I just see like zero masks anywhere mm -hmm. and I'm just looking mm -hmm. around and I'm like, what is going on? There's I feel like the message was not tailored correctly. Yeah. Right. It was not like, it's like the floodgates are not open. You're supposed to be, you're still supposed to be very, very, very careful. Yeah. And right? everyone was just like, no, nah, I think we're fine now. And we're not seeing nearly as much reporting on it as we should, which, you know, we got that out of sight, out of sight, out of mind effect and everything is just shit. So I actually feel like I have to be even more careful to compensate for everyone else's lack of care. Here's a good example. My barber texted me last week and he's like, hey, like, you know, we're doing a soft reopening. Um, everyone's wearing masks, including the customers. You know, we're, we're, we're cleaning the area. Can I put you down for an appointment? And I was like, yeah, give me, you know, X day, X time. And uh, as the day approached, you know, I had like a four or five day thing. I thought about it more and more every day leading up to it. I started talking to my wife about it. And the day before I just called him, I was like, look, man, I'm not coming. You know, I was, like, I was like, just just cancel it. I'll, I'll keep the Afro and uh, I'll, I'll figure something about, you know, I'll just figure something out. And I was like, man, I, I'm just too worried. Honestly, like, you know, what? like maybe it's like, 
guess we were like, oh, you're a pansy or like, it's just like, it's not worth it. You know what I mean? Like, just stay home. Like, I'll just stream some more, you know. I'll... Yeah, I keep saying I'm going to do that. And then I only do like a quarter of it. And I play stream less than last week. I kind of, I took last week pretty, pretty easy. The, the announcement that I was uh, referring to might get me streaming magic more that we're going we're gonna to talk about in a little bit. So we'll okay, talk about I, that I, in a little bit. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Figure it so, out. So um, another a, a cool thing happened for me last week. Um, I didn't get to watch it yet because I'm still trying. We, t- we talked about this. It's very hard to find epi- a specific episode of Jeopardy yeah. that you want to watch. But a friend of mine who like lives in my area was on Jeopardy last week. He, he won his episode, Ross. Um, Lucky. I, I, I want to know. What? what like is it really it can't be that hard i know this guy <laughs> you, personally i mean you're you're allowed to try tannin if you want to try yeah, you, I, can, you can do oh, that here's the thing i have no delusions of grandeur i know that i would fall flat on my face and probably get maybe a question right if i got a jeopardy that or like i could just get the luckiest board of all time and then get like four yeah a baseball category and then you, you're good you got you got four out of five at least in a baseball category yeah, a baseball or they're like magic the or just a sports category. You always see the funny clips when they have a sports category and like no one it's crickets. Yeah, it's just literal like crickets. Really academic crowd for that show and Yeah, yeah, sports. exactly. So yeah, sports is one of those polarizing uh I think they do that on purpose every now and then. One of those uh, uh no, because they 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 don't set in in advance who's on which uh episode. So what happens is So everything's random? Well, so th- they have the questions already. Um and they actually have two sets of questions for each show in case there's an issue. Uh, so right. Like each show has a backup set of questions. And I assume like that, you know, it's not like we didn't use the backup for the show. So those questions are thrown away. It's like, like they had moved somewhere else. Uh, but I don't know for sure. Uh, but what happens is they bring in. So they have the, the defending champion who has to come back. They do five. They do five shows in a day. Right. Monday through Friday. They're all taped in one day. And they bring back the defending champion from the previous Friday show. They come back for the next day of taping. And uh, you need two more people for each show beyond that, right? Ten, so ten more, and then they have bring in one alternate. So there's twelve people there uh, that are going to play that day. One person, the alternate is usually somebody who lives in the area because they can come back pretty easily if they're in, if they're not used. Uh, it's like the backup backup goalie in hockey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, so that's how they do it, and uh, and. Every you sit down and you do you go through your warm ups. Everybody warms up on, on stage, uh, just to get used to just the set and the buzzer and, and everything around you. Get a little bit of familiarity. Um, apparently, they used to not do that, and when they started doing it, they noticed that the defending champion lost a lot more. <laughs> yeah, so because that familiarity is, is worth quite a bit. Yeah, so, it, uh, it seems like an advantage but for they, sure. It's it's pretty low. It's low budget actually. The way they do it is they literally just tear up strips of paper put it into a fucking hat and they just pick two people out for the first show and you go up and you tape the show see and then once you the- say you say low budget <laughs> i say that's just calling back to a simpler time you know this is probably <laughs> I mean, how they did it they, when the show originated you don't need like, any high tech thing to pick some people out pick some people's yeah. names at random like you know they, like, you know the saying is just pick it out of a hat they're just literally doing it they're just taking it literally i, I call that a wise allocation of resources you know Very, oh, put so your you money put more into other things you know, yeah, see, got, you put it more eloquently. The, the person who worked on the show forever, I think, just recently retired. Her name is Maggie. Um, and so she would, like, she tore everything, had names on the hat, names on the slips, put them in a hat, picks two. You go out, you tape the show. Whoever wins, they rush them backstage to redo their makeup and uh, let them change because, you know, can't wear the same thing two days in a row. 
and immediately come back out, pick two more names out of a hat, and you go and you do the second show. And then they do a lunch break after the third show, come back, you warm up again, and you do the last two shows. But it's pretty rapid fire, you know? That's why I, it's tough for defending champions because you come back and, like, you're you're doing the next show within 10 minutes, maybe probably less. Uh, but, they, yeah, there's no, I mean, unless they're, like, you know, sticking frozen slips of paper in the hat or something, this is some NBA draft conspiracy level shit, you know. But the, just, the envelope was creased in the corner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Project Ewing. Sports is just one of those uh, really polarizing categories in trivia. I've actually learned this from doing Learned League, which is my online trivia league. The Ringer actually just did a piece about it um, recently, so maybe you've learned about it recently. But I've uh, I've been doing that for a couple of years now, and uh, you it keeps track of your entire history. And you get your category breakdown, and you can look at anybody else's. And it also shows look, the average of the entire league in those categories and your division in the league and everything. So you can look at all that stuff. And so occasionally I get curious and look through it. And it, there are some categories that are just really polarizing. And the biggest one is actually classical music. Most people know yeah. very little about classical music. But the people that do, they know a lot. They're going to crush <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, like, yeah, I, yeah. Think that, I think the league average in classical music is like 38%. And they're, like the people that there are so many people at the high end that are dragging that. High. Yeah. Like I, I think I'm like 32 percent, and I'm probably about it's like all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, it's like all or nothing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, like you know, third of the time I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's Beethoven or something. Or sometimes I'll get a lucky guess, but it's definitely one of my weaker categories. Where, um, but and uh, I guess the math category we have is also pretty polarizing. But I'm at the high end of that one. I get about yeah, of course, ninety percent of those. <laughs> Because I say that, and then even if I got on the show and they had, like, a, a sports section, there's a very good chance that I'm going to also whiff on that. You know, if they oh, just, yeah. like, if it's, like, 1970s basketball, I'm going to be, like, okay. I can, I can have some guesses, but am I going to guess? Like, probably will just because it's my only shot to win. Oh, yeah. You know, like, game theory. Like, I need to go for the stuff where I have at least an educated guess instead of the stuff where I'm, like, I knew some of those words. <laughs> I didn't know all of them, you know, or whatever, you know, kind you of thing. You have no but. idea how many times I've gone out to bar trivia with people. And the only thing I ever say when they do that is like, I'm not going to carry the entire thing because bar trivia is a lot of pop culture, especially the last 20 years or so. But you've got to carry that stuff. And I will get the things that are hard for everyone else. And they, they all, so many people are like, yeah, no, I got that. Like, I know everything about music and, and TV and stuff. And they'll ask some obscure thing about who played this actor or, like, what this line was or exactly what year was this album released. And they're just like, who knows this shit? I'm like, trivia people. You know, like, you just have no idea how neurotic some people get about this. They just know everything. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I um, I played on a, a little, I you know, quote-unquote bar league trivia thing. It was at like a local wing place, and they used to do you know trivia every week. And uh, our team was really good, but we had a we had a good mix, right? Like we had one guy there that I think I think he could actually possibly compete compete on Jeopardy if he had to. Um, one of those people he has one of those memories like if he's ever heard it, he's never forgotten it. You know, he just like knows the tallest mountain, the lowest, you know, the lowest like like literally every Everybody piece knows of trivia. You know, you know what I mean. I was using it as an example. Got to know the second tallest mountain. Exactly, and then we had another person on our team that had a PhD in math. Yeah, you know, and then, yeah, and then there's like, you know, another person for like pop culture stuff. And then there was just me. And I would get the stuff that like you sound nobody like you else would get. Sports. I would also get sports. Yeah. Um, the other people get, you know, the other thing we're not, you know, like one of the other guys, the, the PhD guy actually played college ball. So like he actually played college baseball. So like, he knew some stuff. But college baseball, that's. Uh, yeah. At like Texas A&M too. Oof, like a good, like a good college. Okay. Yeah. Like good college. 
that definitely a good college for baseball. Or whatever. So yeah, 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 very good one. And um, well, you also played catcher, which like there's a, there's a lot of areas there if you're willing to play catcher at the yeah, you know yeah. at, there's, at there's the less level. For the yeah, slot. good arms, solid bat. You know, that's all, like that's yeah. more than you could ask for. You know, really, it's uh, a lot about a lot of awareness. Like you got to be the person that sees everything and lets everybody else know. They're the most involved. Focused, yeah. They're they're the most involved. Certainly, like, the right, most, you know? like when I think of te- if if I hear that like a team has a really good defense, I know they must have good catcher. Yeah, it's 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 catchers and infielders. You need a good you need a good up the middle defense. You need a good catcher, yeah, a good shortstop, yeah. a good second baseman, and a good center fielder because they. They regulate everything, you know. They yeah, kind of run like, everything. You, know, you can, you the can. Majority of balls also go off the middle. Yeah, right. You can, you can hide somebody. You know, the joke about you put the worst defender in right field thing. That's not necessarily true at like the major league level or whatever. It's Bentley, actually you mostly put him in left. <laughs> yeah, if you, they have the worst arm, 100 percent goes in left because you have all the short throws. Yeah. Your best arm generally goes in right field. Like the guy in right field in, in the major leagues generally has a freaking yeah, they cannon. Gotta, they got to make the throw to third. Yeah, they have a gun. Like one of the, my favorite highlights of all time is like I think it was uh, the the rookie year for Ichiro, and he makes he like someone runs on him from first to third on a you know a ground ball to right field, and he throws the ball from right field to third base and throws him out right, but he like releases the ball right his arm is if you watch it he's mechanically perfect obviously like mechanically perfect and he releases the ball at shoulder you can kind of see it, like his arm's straight and the ball's released at shoulder height. And the ball stays at shoulder height from him to third base. And the guy catches it and tags him out. And you see the runner literally just gets up and looks back at right field. He's just like, what the hell? Because, you know, he saw the ball and you're like, if you play the game enough, when you see a ball go through, you know, like, generally what's going to happen. Because you're yeah. going to turn your back on the play, right? Yeah. And the third base coach is just like, yeah, just come on. And like, he's like, hey, slide. He's just like, what the hell, slide? There's a ball coming? You know, kind of thing. But, man, I miss, Ross, I miss baseball. I'll, I'll never forget the, the Braves game I went to. This is in 2012. I think I've told you this story, but maybe I've even said it on the podcast. I don't know. We got it. We flew in for a, a, a Legacy Grand Prix in June and got in early afternoon on Friday. And there, they were the Braves were at home that at home that weekend, and so we you know bought tickets last minute, super cheap. I think we were we were uh, on the first baseline, just into right field, probably about 15 rows in. So like. You know, pretty good seats. Good seats. Yeah. Yeah. And, good seats. Those know, are great seats for watching like the game. 40 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That'll get you like the nosebleeds now. <laughs> I mean, it, it's still like, it, for baseball, it kind of goes a long way in most parks, but living in Connecticut, the parks that we go to are Fenway and Yankee Stadium, and those are the two most expensive ones. Maybe San Francisco's more now. I don't know. But like, yeah, you know, whatever. 15 yeah. years ago, those were the two most expensive ones. So. They're uh, still up there if yeah. they're not. So we. Dodgers are really expensive too. Yeah, yeah, yeah go Dodgers ahead. too. So we, we go there and we're watching the game. And this was when Hayward was just like Hayward. probably second or third year, maybe. And he's warming up and watching. And I think it was like the third inning where he uh, catches a ball at the warning track. And the guy at third tries to tag up. And he guns him out, one hops the plate from the warning track in right field and guns him down to end the inning. It was two outs. Uh, and uh, just watching that live. Because, you know, yeah. anytime you watch a sport on TV, your perspective is off because everything's condensed. So you just have no idea just how like, fast everything is, how high everything is, how long everything is. And so when you get to see it in person and just, you know, it covers a little over 300 feet, something like that, about 300 feet. Like, that's just unbelievable. So he was an interesting he was an interesting guy. Like, I could talk about this pretty, pretty heavily because, like, as you know, the Braves are my favorite sports franchise in the entire world. I follow their minor leagues. I remember, like you know, following his minor league career from was, the time we drafted him. He was him. the number one prospect in baseball one year, right? Yes. Um, so the, the big thing about him was 
is he's a linebacker, right? Like you, I think you remember seeing this. He's a very large man, especially for baseball. Like he is, he is a, he is large. He's probably bigger than the average linebacker and height wise, at least. I think he's like six, five, you know, oh, six, that's six. Definitely large, most yeah. He's a, he is a large man. Six threes. Yeah. Six I might be off. He might be six, three, six, four, but he looks a lot bigger too. Cause your average baseball player is a little bit shorter. You know what I mean? Like they're not, you don't need to be a giant to play, to play baseball. Right. And coming up, all the scouting reports on him is this guy's a, a 10 year three hole hitter. You know, he's going to be the three hole hitter for the next 10 years. At Atlanta Braves, you know, play right field. He's got to, hopefully his defense catches up. And his first season in the, in his first, you know, season two, two and a half seasons in the baseball, you know, he, he hit pretty well. And then like a hole in his swing kind of got found and he never really recovered from that, even though he's a gigantic contract now, but he's actually, he's actively known as like the best defensive right fielder in the game. Yeah. Like very good defender. Yeah, just cover like doesn't drop anything, covers all the ground, makes all the perfect throws, like just doesn't mess up. So like, you know, he saves a lot of runs and like his zone, like there's two ways to measure a defensive player. It's like how many runs you save. And the way that works is like how many plays you make versus what the average player would make. And you know, he makes somewhere around like fourteen to seventeen extra outs a year. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot in the span of a game. If if your guy just makes an out, like can 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 generate an out that normally wouldn't happen. That is a big turning point in a game. And then they have, uh, it's like, it's like the zone rating, like how well, well they cover their, yeah, UZR, how they, I didn't want to use the acronym or whatever, yeah. but it's how they cover their ground or whatever. Yeah. And he's also just stud like their range in for their position relative to the average as well. Because every year a gold glove is awarded to somebody at every position, right? They're like, Hey, you were the best defensive shortstop in your league, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's really funny to look at him now versus like 20 years ago with all the metrics that we have, because like people who won it 20 years ago, you're like, yeah, they were like a, a decent, def- like, like cheater won like gold gloves. And if like, you look at him metrically now and you're like, dude, he was actually a horrible defensive shortstop. Like he was actively bad. Like he was well below average. And like all the highlight plays you saw him make on sports center yeah. were plays that every other shortstop made routinely. Yeah. And they, they kind of got it back then. Like I remember, so like, you know, again, a brave thing. We had this center fielder named Andrew Jones. To this day, he is the best defensive outfielder I have ever seen. Like he was probably better than Griffey. I think he was better than Griffey. I really do. Oh yeah. And, and Andrew Jones was fucked up. Yeah. And so the thing was, is like people were worried about him uh, not winning gold gloves with how good he was because he wasn't flashy because he like he would only dive if he had to. So he's making plays look routine that other people are having to like full sprint and whatever because like he had the quickest reaction time. He was he was the most well positioned because you know when you have someone like Greg Maddox on the mound for you know where the ball is going to be so he can shade an extra couple steps. Yeah, when your pitcher is that precise, then it helps your prediction, right? Yeah. So and like that's why analytics is so big in the game now. Everybody's like in better positions. Like there's a joke. One of our the players for the Braves a couple years ago got a Gold Glove and everybody was kind of mad about it because like. It's, he's a little bit, it's uh, Nick Markakis, and he, you know, he's a very good player his whole entire career, but, like, I don't think he deserved it, because, like, the only reason he, his flaws were covered up by good positioning and good pitching and stuff, and, like, he's, he's like, doesn't have the best arm, doesn't cover the best ground, but he just, he didn't make errors. So, like, on the stat sheet, if you, if you, because, like, a lot of the voters, it's the same thing, like, with MVPs and stuff, they still vote for, like, really old categories, and not the stuff that actually matters now. You know what I mean? The, the, the game has almost passed them by and what actually... Yeah, I completely agree on that. But I, I'm back to the previous point. For Mar- for stuff like... When you're saying, like, yeah, he doesn't have the, the, the same arm or speed that these other players do, like, but he made up for it with these other... with, you know, being in good positioning and knowing where he's going to be and not making mistakes. Like, those other things aren't any less valuable than having a oh, good I agree. arm 
Like, you could make the argument in the reverse. You could say, well, this oh, person, agreed. you know, makes boneheaded plays all the time and is lazy and, you know, uh, has really is really slow to react and is always out of position, but they just make up for it because they're so fucking fast it doesn't matter. Yeah, or they're just a god. Yeah. Arm, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, so you got to, to me, like, being better at one side of things isn't any, you know, more or less legitimate than the other. Okay, let me pu- let me put it this way. There are players that were better outfielders. Does that make sense in what I'm trying to say? Like, this guy just, I would rather have him as my right fielder. But Marcakis was really good in his system. Sure. And that's, you get what that's I'm saying? fine, too. Like, I, I'm not, I yeah. don't like punishing people for being really good in the system. You know, everybody wants to be found. Everybody, like, that's the goal as a player, right? Or one of the goals is to, you know, get yourself in a system that caters to your strengths. No, for sure. Like, I think me saying he didn't deserve it is probably incorrect. And in, in, he probably maybe deserved it a little bit less than someone else. Someone else might have deserved it more. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm not trying to say he sucked. He didn't deserve it. Blah, blah, blah. He was obviously good. You know, it's just like... It wasn't highway robbery or anything. Yeah. It's like, there could have been a better pick here, but whatever. You know, it's not the end of the world. We're debating gold gloves on a Magic podcast, so... It's nice to have guys that, you know, are just good at playing the game, fundamentally sound, but aren't necessarily flashy. You may know one of them on the Utah Jazz by the name of Joseph Howarth Ingles. Uh, who I found out was Australian today. Yeah. I didn't know that. Well, his but... middle name is Howarth. So... <laughs> that's, not, that's, not a, that's not a typical name in our country. <laughs> uh, no, it's like, it, it, you know... I hate this argument about like why players get signed and why players are on teams, but Marcakis is the definition of like the clubhouse guy. You know, he's just the dude that keeps he you know he keeps his he keeps his bill low, and I don't mean physically. Like you know, he keeps his head down, like doesn't do anything wrong, doesn't get in trouble, never says anything bad, just goes out there. He's he's a professional, does his damn job. You know what I mean? And like he's a good guy, like for you know, because he's like thirty six or something now. You know, he's yeah, he's, he's way like over the hill. Forever. I remember he was always the guy in like the late two thousands, early twenty tens who was a sleeper pick in fantasy drafts every year. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he, he never did. There was maybe a year or two where he was like elite in a couple of categories, but he was never elite in anything, but he was never bad enough in any yeah. category to hurt you. And he was also highly touted coming up as a prospect. So yeah, he was really good for a few yeah, years in Baltimore. So everybody like, had, yeah. had this idea that like, you know, he would have a breakout year at some point, like a late career breakout. And it just never happened. He was always mediocre. Last thing about baseball. Uh, I'll try to keep this condensed. Uh, baseball prospects. It's like really hard because like, when you're a good prospect in football or basketball, like the flashy ones, they generally like, you, you can see they're great, right? Like, you know, they're, they go out there and they dunk the ball a lot or they score a lot of touchdowns and it's super cool. Good In baseball, like, it's so hard to make it. And then if they're highly touted, if the player makes it to the major leagues and contributes to your team in some way, like, it doesn't matter if it's like super positive, just some positive amount, that's a good prospect. Because you know how many they have per year versus like ones that make it and don't. So like, not every prospect that was like, oh, this was your number one pick. Like, if they're just a solid, decent major leaguer, you're fine with that. Like, you're not going to get these superstars. Yeah. You know uh, what I mean? That's just how it works. Because with baseball, there's this such, there's this refined skill that, or this this difficult skill that needs to be refined. And so when you get drafted in, in football and basketball, you're contributing, if you get drafted highly, you're contributing on the team immediately. That never happens in baseball. Because you've got to go through the, the minor leagues and still build up that skill set. It just takes so long. So with prospects in baseball, you're projecting three, four, five, six years down the road. And so there's a lot more yep. I- inherent variance. Here, I'll give you a good example. Do you want to know the last major league player to not play in the minor leagues before playing in the majors? John Olerud. <laughs> that's, that's how long ago this was. I think this man retired 15 up, years ago. Yeah, he probably came up in the early 90s. Yeah, he's, he was famous for wearing a helmet in the field. <laughs> like he'd, play, he'd wear a helmet at first base. 
or whatever because he got hit in the head once and you know i, I think players should be wearing more protective gear at, at certain positions but like what play baseball for over 100 years only one person's ever died that's not true someone dies all the time there's there's someone dies almost every year in college or, or oh, i mean in, in major league baseball yeah yeah, 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 yeah say, you should yeah, include but, uh but in major league baseball only one i get i get what you meant i was just kind of i kind of responded but anyway that's a good little trivia nugget for your jeopardy episode yeah do you know who it is sure one un un singular i'm surprised you do you not know who it is i do not it's a ray chapman Chapman. i have heard the name or something yeah i have heard the name that's probably why but i didn't know that i i I have one more point on this before we actually move on sure because this whole uh idea of like baseball being really difficult to predict for prospects was my one of the things that really drew me in when I read Moneyball, which I probably yeah. read like ten years ago. Um, I've read it twice. It's it's definitely worth the reread. It's such a good book. The movie is is quite good. I enjoyed it, and the book it's just is, a big romanticized version of the book. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But the book is significantly better. Yeah. Uh, if you like baseball, yeah. You, if you and, like baseball, and you kind of have to like stats a little bit. Yeah, you have to be a numbers like, guy. Yeah. So so obviously the the book appealed to me. So uh, you know your mileage may vary, but. The narrative, they, they, uh, what's the guy's name who wrote it? Michael, Michael. I'm blanking myself. Anyway. Uh, but whatever, he, he, he had this, he, he built this narrative around Billy Bean specifically. Uh, the, the Oakland A's manager who got played by Brad Pitt in the movie for people who are following along. Uh, he was the GM. Uh, GM, yeah, yeah. No, uh, uh, so uh, Michael Lewis. Michael Lewis, yeah. So, uh, he, he was a highly touted, you know, supposedly can't prospect. prospect in the yep. early '80s, early to mid '80s, and he flamed out. Uh, I, th- I think he, I think he played a little bit in the major leagues, but I'm talking yeah, like yeah, a handful he... of at bats. Yeah, you know, like never like a full season as a starter, kind of level. So just flamed out, and th- there was, you know, and it, he, Lewis used that to paint Billy Bean as someone who, because he personally witnessed an extreme failure. Like, he was supposed to be a can't-miss prospect, and it was somehow missed. So how could that have happened? And because of that contradiction that existed within his psyche, he became a, the perfect test candidate that would allow, you know, sabermetrics and all these new ideas coming from what's-his-face, who's the sabermetric guy who got hired by the Red Sox. Oh, uh, I literally can't remember it, but he wrote it, like, the late, late 70s, 70s or something. Writing, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and he became, the, like, Billy Bean became the perfect test case as a result. And he became, he was the person who was going to be amenable to this because it was going to explain to him why he failed. Bill James. Yeah, I was going to say the whitest name of all time. I couldn't remember it. But yeah. And so, and I thought that narrative was really great and it really drove home the book for me. And they go through, you know, a, a ton of stuff. Uh, but that's, that's really the opening chapter or two of the book is all about building that narrative. And they don't really do that in the movie. And I thought, I found they that fl- They flush like, over it real, yeah, real quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, within like, you know, five minutes or something but i found that narrative for the book super compelling and it's all because you know baseball's one really hard to predict and up until you know sabermetrics happened people had really stupid ideas about baseball yeah a few more points and then then whatever uh (laughs) yeah hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports period like just hitting like hitting the ball with a bat is like ungodly harder than hitting a a cricket ball well whatever shut up anyway (laughs) you you get this you get the point i'm trying to make i know very little about cricket but the cricket bat is like pretty heavy and they get to like run up get a running start when they pitch they get the crow hop it yeah. yeah and they get to like bounce the ball into you with spin that seems way harder to me and i think they're closer Okay, sports in America. How about that? <laughs> I know they play cricket here, but you know what I mean, like major sports in America. But also, um, 
the scene in the movie where they kind of go over that, where he's, you know, uh, he talks about himself as a player and they, they show why he's he's willing to take this leap into like Sabermetrics or whatever. I actually think that's a severely underrated scene. It's between uh, Jonah Hill and Brad Pitt. And he's like, he's like, would you have drafted me in the first round? Because he, he was a he was a first round draft. He was a huge signing bonus at the time, whatever. And Jonah Hill's like, he's like, where would you have drafted me or whatever? And he's like, the 12th round of no signing bonus or whatever. And he's like, this is the guy I want. He's like, this is the guy I want running my team. If, if he knew this, if he believed that about that, I sucked that bad or whatever, you know, like kind of thing. So let's talk about something that doesn't suck. Magic. Uh, well, okay. I guess. Yeah, okay. I guess. I'm sorry. As long as you've stayed off of magic Twitter all week, then I'm sure you oh, it's, say magic doesn't suck. It's been rough this week. Um, that's been good. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the stuff that got announced on magic Twitter today, right before we took the show. Cause some of this is a, a little, uh, a little important. Um, channel fireball events, the company that runs the grand prix circuit and stuff like that has announced, uh, that they are disbanding. Um, this kind of confirms something that Ross and I have been saying for a few months now on the show. There will be no major organized magic this year, most likely. That means there's no Grand Prix this year. I've got to imagine Star City Games is going to follow suit. And anything else, If it, it, i got to imagine you're only playing locally at this point for the rest of the year. Them, I could, I'd say there's a there's still an outside chance. A non-zero. Like the Season 2 Invitational, maybe an open or two. There's an outside chance. Yeah, I wouldn't bet on it. it at zero yet. Yeah, I would not bet on it though. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, but I'm I'm not ready to put it at zero. And just to be clear, I have zero inside information from the inner workings of SCG. This is just my read as a you know a magic person, a, a magic player, getting all the same public announcements as y'all do. You didn't get any leaks online or anything like that. <laughs> We're a little bit more tight-lipped at SCG. I guess. <laughs> yeah. I I am too. Or or maybe the you know the the higher ups are are a little bit less trusting. Yeah. All right. And and probably rightfully so, given the history of magic. Because I I'm pretty sure like every time anyone like out you know basically not employed by Watsi has said anything about anything to anyone, it's been leaked as a result. Yeah. So I can't. Uh, that's I'm sure that's not true. Uh, but it certainly feels out. One of the other announcements, and this one happened, I don't know, seven minutes before we went live or something like that on Twitter, and this is an important one, even though it doesn't affect Pioneer yet. And uh, it, it could. Yes, I think it, it could eventually. It and it Ross and I have talked about the, we're thinking about starting to lean into a tiny bit of talking about standard or modern every now and then, since um, if there's going to be less events going on for the rest of the year, we want to make sure that we have enough content. So if we ever feel like we're a little low in content or if something important comes up, we can talk about this. Uh, the Wizards Twitter account tweeted out today on on Monday the 1st there will be an update to the banned and restricted list impacting the standard and historic formats that will address the com- that will also address the companion mechanic so this means that in standard or historic you will possibly and probably see bans and the companion mechanic will be addressed in one or both of these formats um we're going to take a guess at what we think is going to happen, but we were actually saying that I think that this could possibly affect Pioneer sooner rather than later, because it doesn't make sense to me that if you're going to change the companion mechanic in some way to have a different rule in different formats. Yeah, and I agree. I, I cannot imagine them doing that. So if they are announcing a change to how companion works, then I have to assume that that will have a significant impact on Pioneer because, you know, Yorin and Luris and to a lesser extent Obosh and Garuda have had a significant impact on the format. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not... So based on that announcement, I know everyone's thinking like, oh, they're going to change the companion rule or rat it somehow. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking that 
come Monday, they're going to announce, you know, X is X and Y are banned in standard, you know, X and Z are banned in, in historic. And we've heard all about the companion mechanic and we're still looking into it. Oh, they're just going to make That's it. That's kind of what I'm expecting. The, like, the announcement of the announcement of the announcement. Yeah, we are monitoring the situation closely. Yeah. And we believe at this point there is no reason to make a significant change to the way companion the companion mechanic works, uh, you know, at a fundamental level and hope that the actions that we have taken with this announcement will lead us to the change that we want to see. Yeah, some extra flowery language in there maybe, whatever. I, yeah, I, I literally just wrote the announcement yeah, yeah, for Yeah, me. there you go. Watsi, you're welcome. Um, we'll take, <laughs> yeah. We'll take a check to, uh, you can send the check to my house. I'll make sure Ross gets a cut of it. Just put it in the, just put it in the, the Pioneer cast, uh, you know. Patreon. Become, become a Patreon. Yeah, right? there you go. Yeah. <laughs> If you're, if you're a patron for a year, that that's enough payment for us. Highest two. I was, yeah, I was gonna say big level, high level. Yeah, yeah. let's go. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll make an extra special Watsy tier. They can they can subscribe to the Pioneer Cast at like a hundred dollars a month. I think they can afford it. I don't know if you saw their 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 uh, their earnings sheet that came out recently. That was another thing that made people pretty mad with what's going on with all the money cuts. But obviously, it's th- there's a lot there too to unpack. You can, you can also send us uh, two sealed boxes of every set. As it comes like, I'll just take I'll just take X amount of every card that's standard legal yeah, every time. Maybe some secret layers. I don't know. I'm okay without the secret how, how layers. How expensive I'm are okay. those going to be? How what? I, I don't know. How, how expensive are secret layer products? Some of them are very expensive. Because the, the, I think those bolts are going to be popular. The like bolts will be popular, but I don't know if they'll be expensive. It per se is like the Fetchland one was very expensive. Sure. And that's the one that I was really angry about because it was just like five cards and the thing, the box was gigantic and just total plastic. I'm like, come on. We're like creating a landfill here. Anyway, um... I think that there's a chance that we see a change to the companion mechanic. Oh, there's a, a huge chance. And we see a change. well, I, that, that that wasn't that was rhetorical. And this is, I was like leading into, I, I think we're going to see something along the lines of if this card is your companion, like you you if you keep a seven card hand, you probably have to put a card. You probably have to mulligan. You know, you put a card on the bottom, and then that becomes your seventh card. The question I have, that's that's like the most likely fix, right? That's the one that everyone's been talking about. Does the card go in your hand? Or does it stay in the companion zone? Because that's I would that's a big deal as well. For it to go in your hand. Yeah, like just because my one of my least favorite things about how companion works is that you cannot interact with it with the discard. Yeah, you can't thought seize it. Yeah, because both Luris and Yorian create value immediately upon entering the battlefield, and so discard and counter spells are the only ways to you know profitably or at parity interact with them. And by the nature of the companion mechanic, you eliminate one of those two we get into this weird uh, spot where the potential for positive interaction is so narrow that it's not worth trying to stop them and you just join them. And counterspells are already in a rough spot in since the printing of Teferi, Time Raveler, which is one of my least favorite cards of all time. Yes. Because for such a low opportunity cost, you just get to completely invalidate an entire axis of interaction. And, you know... In, in addition to other things, it's not like it just stops counterspells. Like, it stops combatrix and other stuff, too, but primarily counterspells. Uh, and I think that has had a, a really huge uh, exacerbating influence on Standard, where the format for the last year has just been about creating as much mana as quickly as you possibly can with things like Fires of Invention, Oilers Reclamation, Nissa. Uh, I think there's another offender in there. I think one of at least one of those cards will also be banned coming up. Yeah, and historically, the best way to deal with decks that are just generating a whole fuck ton of mana is to cast counterspells. 
But all of these decks, the best versions of all of these decks have, have almost always played Teferi outside of some of the builds of, I guess, there were some Nissa builds that didn't have to play white. You know, you just played Oko, so you got underneath them, and you could just be Simic. But a lot of them went to Bant, too. And there were some builds of Reclamation that, that you know, didn't play white, but some did. Uh, and basically every successful Fires deck uh, has had, or the most successful Fires decks have all been four Teferi. So it's just fucked up. So I... I um, I, if if they make that change, um, which I'm not, you know, the change of the the initial change of like adjusting the companion rule, I'm actually less gung ho about than just if you're gonna change it, just put it into their fucking hands so I can thought seize them. Yeah, and here's the thing, I actually kind of like companion, just not for like high level constructed play. Like leave it with commander. Like leave it, leave it with those those people. And I don't mean those people in a bad way. I'm just like leave it with the people that are playing casually and want to do broken stuff and like are doing that kind of stuff. Like I don't like having to build a deck around one or two cards. Yeah, I, I agree. It makes it takes some of the fun out of deck building, but it adds a, a different kind of fun. Like figuring out all the weird Lurus synergies and Yorian synergies and things, and you know the best eight cards for an Obosh deck. I think was actually kind of interesting. But once that problem is solved, it gets old really fast. And we've entered that phase. Like, I've seen Mishra's Bauble or Seal of Fire with Lurus enough. Yeah, like, it also was, like, too good in a lot of ways for itself, right? Like, the Lurus-Urion problem hurts the other ones because I think Obosh is really cool. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, And even to some extent, like, having Gyruda around I think is fine. Yeah. Right? It pops up every now yeah. and then. It does something flashy, but it's never going to dominate the format. It's like Dredge. Uh, but a little bit worse. So, you know, I think things like, uh, you know, Kahira, even in like a creatureless control deck, that's kind of neat. Uh, I, I like Obosh quite a bit. Like that's, that's, those hit the power level mark pretty well. Like they show up, but they're not overpowered. But yeah, Lurus and Yorian clearly just like w way over the mark. And I'm, I'm, I, I was so happy to see Ari's article today where he's just bashing Yorian. Because I actually do think Yorian is a lot less fun than Lurus. Uh, Yorian is just this, like, it's the sort of Damocles dangling over your head, and you just, you're never safe. And it, you can never, you really can never profitably interact with it, because you can't profitably interact with Arkham's Astrolabe or whatever other stupid shit people blink, like, that costs one mana and, you know, draws a card. It's just so heinous. They're trying it in, in, in Legacy now, by the way. And, like, it's, it's oh, showing yeah. up and winning in Legacy. I don't think it's good. I'm not sure it's good, but like I'm saying, like it's 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 that powerful and doing that kind of effect. It's just it's just completely heinous, and I hate it. So I I would I'm hoping for some bans because I I enjoyed this month actually, uh, and it's been I guess it's been almost two months. So you know, let's say six weeks uh, of Ikoria, six seven weeks. I actually enjoyed it, and it, it has been diverse enough. But I'm, I, and I said this, you know, back when I was enjoying it and people were already hating on the companions, I said, I'm enjoying it. I think there's a lot of reasons to like it, but I'm thinking down the road at some point, it's going to become uh, really stale and it's gotten to the point where it's stale for me. Like I'm, I've seen the Luris decks enough. We've refined them enough. Like it, I think we found the best Luris deck in both Pioneer and Modern. I think we found the best Yorian deck in both Modern and Standard. I'm not sure if we have found the best Yorian deck in Pioneer. Uh, especially after this week where these Yorian control decks 
you know, rose up and... Spoiler alert! <laughs> so, I, I'm not sure if we found the best Yorian deck in Pioneer, but honestly, every Yorian deck feels like the same fucking thing to me. Yeah. So you just, like, interact, interact, force you to interact. Okay, we're both low on resources. Yorian, draw three cards, the game's over. Yeah. And I have a four or five flyer, like... Yeah, it's, yeah. it's pretty ridiculous. Um, I, I'm hoping... I'm okay with the thing. I'll say this. I haven't played a game of standard since they came out. Um, so I have never like cast a companion in, in standard from it. I've watched it. I've done it a lot in limited, like a lot in limited. And I will, I will tell you right now, it doesn't matter how bad your limited deck is. If you can cast a companion from the companion zone, your, your deck is good. Like in, if it's that big of a thing unlimited, it's got to be good and constructed, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm excited to possibly mess with it afterwards. Um, we were kind of joking about this. If the companion mechanic changes in some way and it does change in Pioneer, I think that's something that could help you spirit enthusiasts maybe get your deck back in the format because spirits just a deck that doesn't have a good companion. Like there's none that really go great with it. Like I guess you could make a Lurus spirits deck, but then you're cutting out some of your best cards. I, I've looked into that and it does not... Uh... There's not enough. Yeah. Like, I, I get interested in thinking about it, right? It's like, it's like a thought exercise. I was like, oh, this sounds cool. And then I'm just like, but wait, I want to play this card. I want to play this card. I want to play this card. And it doesn't do enough, right? And there's some cool cards that interact with it that way, but, like, it's not it's not good enough, right? And so I'm interested to see what happens with this format. That The other thing, this has got to be one of the quickest bans after a paper release in history just because the paper release got pushed back so far because i feel like i opened my box like the last two weeks week. yeah it's like barely it hasn't even been out like half a month you know like it just came out and we're like oh well like you know i opened up some cool stuff and i thought about like i opened up a foil japanese luris and i thought about selling it because like it's worth a lot of money or whatever and i'm just like i don't think anyone will buy it now because no one knows you know it's it's still legal and modern which is really good it's still legal in pioneer which is really good which we'll get into in a minute but we'll see speaking of getting into pioneer would you want to start with the super qualifiers or the challenges well i kind of want to take a more overarching look at everything uh and the the, the biggest thing i noticed you know it's been the same schedule for a while now we've got two super qualifiers two challenges and the biggest thing i noticed from looking over the results from the week is that Somehow Control was like the best performing deck out of nowhere. Yeah, I kind of liked it. out of nowhere. A few things. Um, what you're seeing, especially with like when you start looking at some of the deck lists, like if you take the first place list from the Pioneer Challenge on the 25th here, the, uh, the Esper Control list. When I look at this list, it kind of looks like the um, Inverter deck a little bit, right? Like it's got a lot of those pieces and then they just kind of like cut the Inverter part of the deck. And then just put in more control cards, and they were like, whatever. It's kind of like post-board inverter, Yorion decks, you know, where they kind of board out some of their ways ways to win. And that deck, whenever I would watch it board and it boarded in a control deck, I was like, yo, this deck's really good. Like the control version of this deck, right? It just outgrinds everything, out card values everything, and then would eventually find a way to win. And in this copy, like, you just have the Planeswalkers do it instead. You just have, like, Teferi Hero of Dominaria and Ashok Nightmare Muse, like, actually winning the game. And Ashok was a big part of the Yorian Inverter, mm -hmm. too. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then you have four Narset, four Teferi Time Raveler, which can shut down entire decks in the format, which is a big deal here. And then you kind of have it, like, borrowing from a few other decks, too. Like, you're seeing four Trial of Ambition, four Omenency, four Oath of Kaya, and two Oath of Jace. So, like, the cool permanent-based things that are, like, spells that are permanents. You know what I mean? Like, these are enchantments that are technically a spell. 
you know, thing. So they bounce and do really well with the Orians. You're seeing all that involved. And, like, it just makes sense to me when I look at this deck. Like, this just makes sense. My big thing with the with the Esper version and that, you know, basically the control decks were split, essentially, between Azorius and Esper. And I think the big gain from Esper is the spot removal. Getting to play Fatal Push, a one-mana spot removal spell, Trial of Ambition that you can blink with Yorian, and then Oath of Kaya against where Lurus Burns the most popular aggro deck. Those are all huge upgrades and make your aggro matchup so much better uh, that I'm excited for an Esper version. And, like, the mana is probably workable when you play 35 lands. And I kind of wanted to, like, make a comment about that as well because while I agree with you, I kind of disagree there in, in a way because when you look at the blue-white one, I still look at this and you see it's got four Birth of Miletus in it and then, like, multiple Omen of the Sun. Is it two Omen of the Sun, but it's not a lot, and four Baffling End? All these cards are really good against the, like, aggro uh, Luris Burn deck in this format. I mean, you're looking at four absor Absorb main. And there's like a there's like a lot of incidental life gain and blocking ability in this deck. Like Birth of Light is just amazing in that in that matchup. Plus, there's even a Fumigate in this deck, so you get a little extra value if you have to Fumigate one of your own creatures here. And then bouncing all the stuff of Yorian is just absurd. Which list are you looking at? The Super Qualifier list, the blue white one that yeah, this won. Is a, this is actually Chase Kovac. Who I'm not sure you know, but he was uh, uh he's from Massachusetts, and he was part of the Colony, which was the house that had a. Uh, just him, Matt Costa, Dave Shields. Oh, just Infinite uh, Sickos. Was Adam Snook the other person who lived in that Maybe. house? Maybe. I think Adam. I think Adam might have lived there before he got married. Um, yeah, w when like they were all grinding and playing a, a ton of Magic. But Chase, you know, just kind of showed up out of nowhere, which he does occasionally and usually just wins a PTQ. Uh, just did again with this deck. Uh, some of the other lists aren't playing these Birth of Melitises. He definitely came in prepared for aggro, has some Essence Scatters. So he definitely tuned his blue-white list to be better against aggro. Whereas the the Esper list like is sort of naturally there, um, but yeah, no, exactly. Like, I, I I like the comparison though to to Inverter. It really is, you know, just being that control plan that the Inverter deck has, and a lot of the Inverter players this week, if you look through the list, have reverted back to the sixty card builds because I think they realized that like people got used to beating their control plan, and so they just needed to be more of a combo deck. Now this deck solves that problem by just being a better control deck by cutting the combo pieces. And just having better control cards, which also makes sense to do. Uh, it's just two different ways of doing things. And, you know, people have just got, you know, your index now have more of a target on them. So you had to adjust in that way. But it's weird to me that control just, you know, it won three of the four of these tournaments. There's multiple copies of different control decks across these top eights and in different tournaments. Like the total number is probably like eight-ish, seven-ish, which is, you know, quite a lot when you're talking about out of 32. You know, it's over over 20%. Of this top eight, these top eights were control decks. Like, what the hell happened? Well, people start realizing you can make a control deck of Yorion, and I think we all drastically underestimated how good Shark Typhoon is, and it just fits in this kind of deck very, very well. It's that, it's that card that a control deck wants, right? In every control deck I've ever played, especially if it's a popular control deck in the format, you always want those one or two haymakers that. If they resolve or they're uncounterable, that if it happens, you win the mirror, right? And that's what this card is. Like getting to cycle this card is uncounterable. It gives you, a, it draws an extra card. It, you know, makes a big flyer. And especially after board, you generally don't have a lot of ways to kill a creature in the control matchup. So that card's really, really good. It's also something you can do in the face of a Teferi. Yep. You can you can do this right. in, a, in a turn of the Teferi, yeah. Have you ever played against this card with, with an aggro deck? It's not fun. You like it. There's just never a, a time you can play around it. Yeah, agreed. I never have an instant speed removal spell to deal with it. And I'm always like, well, 
what is my other option? Just not ever attack and they just get infinite time. So I just have to slam headfirst into this thing time and time again. Yeah. Have you ever played against it when it's resolved on the battlefield? <laughs> I, I'm not sure if anybody's resolved it against me. I've seen it on the battlefield. It does some cool stuff. I got to, The other day I was playing a, a, a matchup in Limited and we were both like a spell-based deck. And my opponent turn six just played a Shark Typhoon and I was like... And they had like four cards off their hands like, I cannot win this game <laughs> or whatever. So um, it's an interesting one if you can ever actually put it on the battlefield as well. But also another thing that I really liked about the, Azur the Azorius version is you get to play the castles. You know, it's got Castle Arvindale and Castle Vandris. And I think that's a big deal in this format as well. Yeah, especially Castle Ardenvale, actually. You would think Vantress is the one you want, but it's actually those extra 1-1s one pressuring Planeswalkers, blocking against aggro. I fucking hate them when they have Castle Ardenvale against me, and they always fucking do. It like, makes it just that much harder to attack on the Planeswalkers. I'm always playing fucking Bomat Courier, and I just want to slay a man and get some cards under it. It's, it's really, really annoying. It does make Bomat Courier look pretty damn bad, but... There are a lot of things that do that, Tannen. But if you don't have any of those things, it looks really fucking good. That's the story, the Bomat Courier story. Yeah. What was the other control deck that you wanted to talk about? Uh, there was no specific control deck. I just wanted to talk about them in general. I think, I'm pretty sure it was all Esper and Blue White. I don't think there was well, a specific list. The, the, do you consider like the, the Jeskai Fires deck to technically be a control deck? It almost feels no, like that, it is. That's, that's a Fires deck that's just trying to go over the top with Agent of Treachery and Luka at this point. Uh, if, if you're talking about like the Super Friends version, yeah, that's kind of a control deck. But even that is like pretty proactive in what it's doing. Um, so I'm, I'm talking really the, these control decks. I, I want, I think there are, the more I think about it, I think there's two things that really help out, helped out for control this week. One is we've basically seen Ors of Auras gone. It just doesn't show up anymore, which is kind of weird to me, but, uh, I think Trial of Ambition had a lot to do with it. There's just too many Trial of Ambitions. Um, and the thing about Luris Burn and Ors of Auras is you have to attack them in very different ways. One is like it go wide, lots of reach, and one is go tall with protection and no reach. They're like as different as two aggro decks can get. And that's really difficult for control to prepare for when there's also a combo deck that's notable in the format, uh, which was a rough matchup, but we've also seen decline in numbers. And we, there's also, you know, a combo control deck and these sort of big mana decks. There's a lot, there's a lot of stuff going on. And getting that one uh access to narrow where you just don't have to worry about the two different aggro decks you just worry about beating burn uh as i think is a huge deal and then also the the rise of these fires decks which were the biggest thing last week i mean counter spells have always been the best way to fight fires decks even though they have teferi like just loading up in counter spells like you know the, i think the blue white list is obviously going to be better here than the esper list which are a little bit more removal heavy uh but you know dovin's veto and negate and mystical dispute I think give you just really good game in those matchups. So you, I think they were well prepared to beat a meta game where a lot of their matchups were going to be Loris Burn and Yorian Fires, and that's what they beat up on, uh, while still having you know a reasonable game against the rest of the field. So I think this is a good week for control. Uh, I wish we had you know predicted that last week. We really should have. The way everything was going, it just makes sense, right? Yeah, exactly. Everything always makes sense in hindsight, Tannen. That's how hindsight works. That, I will admit. <laughs> Like, most of the time, yeah. And then every time there's one card, I'm like, what the hell happened? I'm like, yeah. where did this come from? You know, like... This is this is one where what the hell happened was my initial reaction. And then when I thought about it for a little bit, I was like, okay, this made sense. Everyone's just smart and I'm really dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm just mad at myself. Yeah. Um, so, I think that's what happened here. How long it may, you know, control stays good. We've seen it pop up a couple times over Pioneer's history. 
And it never really stays on top for that long. Control in Pioneer seems to be like, you know, something that you've got to strike while the iron is hot. That window, given how much flux we've seen in Pioneer over the last two or three weeks, is probably closing quickly. So if you want to be playing your control decks, you get it in now, because I think we're going to see a decline in the Fires decks in particular. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to see a decline in Lurus Burn, because that deck is just really good. Uh, so, but, you know, th that's probably good, because it just gives you that consistent target. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Um, so yeah, really, really good weekend for Control. Probably the I don't want to say the breakout deck, but like the, the breakout thing that happened this weekend, for sure. Because there's no specific version. Yeah, it's definitely for me, the, the number one. Uh, like, I, I think the only thing that contends with it is our next topic of discussion, and one that is near and dear to my heart. Uh, is that because in Soul is playable again? Is yeah. it near and dear? I, your soul is your soul is near to your heart. I was going to say, is it near and dear to your soul, but you kind of, yeah. yeah. So, and Soul Artifact is back. Yeah, thank you, VTCLA, or VCLA, or whatever. VTCLA. VTCLA, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I felt like I was adding too many letters, and then I did it again. I was like, that's too few. So he, uh, you know, I had seen a couple lists, actually, and then I saw VTCLA streaming with his, and he, he X2'd, like, multiple tournaments. He was always on the cusp of top eighting with it. Uh, built this Azorius, Lurus, and Soul deck, uh, and it, it looks, you know, really good. You would think, oh, man, losing Trap and Glass, that's a big hit. But believe me, you know, Luris is a big enough gain. And I was I was actually watching him stream when Sam Party, who was SM Beaster on Magic Online, was in the chat. And I was like, this deck's cool. I kind of want to play Constructed again. And then the next day, Sam played the challenge with the deck and won. Yeah. S Sam's still still confirmed a wizard. Just yeah. very, very good to Magic. Uh, but this deck is super sweet. I actually wrote my article about it this week uh, on SCG. So if you want to really, you know, in-depth detailing of the deck uh you, you can get it there what i will say here is one i love seeing toolcraft exemplar finally you know in yes. pioneer i thought toolcraft the Arabian inspector would be like the backbone of you know a, a white aggro deck in pioneer and it just wasn't powerful enough yeah white was just unplayable for the first few months yeah, yeah. there's like the it just wasn't powerful enough i guess w with copter there was that blue white deck but that ended up not even being that good you know it was around but not great uh but this deck, I love the four Mutavolts. Mutavolt is just such a good magic card. And when you have Ghost Fireblade in your deck, it's hard to tell you how good Mutavolt is. And, at, you know, 23 lands is more than this deck used to run. I used to run 21 and is it. But with Lurus, you're fine having extra land drops. Like, you, you, making my fourth and fifth land drop within Soul before was heinous. I mean, sometimes I would want my fourth land drop. And I basically never want my fifth. With this deck, the fifth is fine. And sometimes you even want, like, your sixth sometimes even seven depending on how many mini you draw uh like you can reasonably use that amount of mana in a turn so uh and, you know and with stone call serpent gingerbread activation bowman courier activation and card advantage uh and all of that stuff you, you use your mana really well which is great in this deck so you know shrapnel blast was necessary in the is it build because it was more all in and you just needed to get the game over this deck actually can play a longer game because when they kill your own soul sometimes it fucking comes back <laughs> and that, that's bad for them because when the soul sticks around, they're dead. I was watching you stream the game, a game, and you had a you know artifact creature with an soul on it, and someone cast um, what is it, revoke existence against you? Someone cast revoke existence against you, and they targeted the creature, and I was like, that was the wrong target. Yeah, it was. You want to? It's weird to that. leave the creature in play, but like you actively want to hit the soul so it doesn't come back from because you were just like play Luris, play in, in soul again next turn or whatever. 
my opponent was black white vampires and i'm like okay i've got my you know against the black decks with that are fatal pushing and you know murderous riding and everything you, you like you'd love to insult your dark soul citadel get that indestructible and then they just you know had revoke existence and then yeah did not normally you're like you're happy to take your two for one and like stone rain the person that's what you did before Lurus. right but post Lurus, you're right like they just had to take the insult and that you know that contributed to my winning that match and if you notice you want to scroll down on that Sunday channel. Well, hold on, right hold on, there. real quick. I wanted to talk about one more thing. I think this deck is really cool and really good, right? Like this, this is a deck that I would play. It definitely fits my style of play. The the crappy blue creature. I'm using quotations here. You know, kind of thing going on or whatever. But I think one reason that this deck is also playable again, besides the fact that I mean, the biggest reason obviously is Luris. But the fact that the red deck doesn't exist really anymore, besides the burn version, if you had to play against a deck with a bunch of abrades and chain whirlers in it, I don't know if this deck could hang. Um, chain whirler was never a big issue. Abrade is kind of thing. It, it's more the cheat. It's more the one mana removal, and burn still has that. And that match, and they have chained the rocks in the sideboard. That's the match if you don't want to see. I'm, I'm currently X and one. I've lost one match to a non-burn deck, and I'm like two and three in my matches against. Burn. No, I mean like. Here's the thing. With the older version, maybe, but, like, against this one, almost every creature in this deck just straight up dies to Chain Whirler if you don't have something on it. And then they have a lot of, like you said, the cheap interaction spells. You do have Toolcraft Exemplars and other yeah. toughness. Yeah, plus a Braid. I'm just saying, like, that's not a matchup I would want to play against. Yeah, you, you just don't want the red matchup in general. And, you know, that's the matchup where you struggle, but... And Soul is good against Control. If people are playing Control right now, it's good against Lotus Breach. It is good against Yorian decks. Um, it is fine but not awesome, especially this version, against 60-card Inverter. I would say you're a little behind there because you really wanted the reach from Shrapnel Blast, uh, and you, so you miss out because you do need to end the game. But you still have pretty good game against them because, you know, Lurus helps a lot when they're just trying to even play their fair game and interact early, and you have good counter spells, and uh, especially the Disdainful Strokes in the sideboard. So even that matchup is fine. It's really just burn that you're worried. The Yorian variants of Inverter, I think, are almost a buy. I've crushed that matchup every time, but the deck is super sweet. I'm so happy to be playing it. I and it, it, it always ups, upset me that Luris and Ensoul didn't really fit together because of color reasons, right? That's the hard. That was the hardest thing. If if Luris was a blue or a red card, I think Isit and Soul would have become one of the best decks in the format upon its printing because it would have just slotted it naturally the same way Ors of Ors, you know, did. It would have had that effect, but. Because it wasn't, it was just too hard to make the mana work until, you know, somebody figured it out, VTCLA. Uh, and and the mana is also not great in the deck. You have to play a lot of those rainbow lands, makes the mana base really painful, which is even rougher against burn. If we had one of Attaker Waste or Seacrum Coast, things would be different, but we don't because fuck us. Uh, but, uh, you know, and Solar Effect just works so well with Luris because when you play with Luris, you want to be playing with must-answer threats. You, you want to f lead with must-answer threats. And that's why Burn has become, like, the default Lara stack in basically in every format. Because if you don't kill Goblin Guide, you don't kill Monastery Swift Spear, you don't kill Eidolon of the Great Revel, you know, within a turn, you're gonna die. Every time. They're gonna burn you out. And now, even if you do kill them, you still have to worry about this Lara's backup. And that's perfect. Because you just force them to have it over and over and over again. And in Soul does the same thing. Right? It, it just does it in a slightly different way. And so, and Soul was always a card that, like, on paper worked really well with Luris outside of color considerations because you needed to play Darksteel Citadels. And that was the other thing. If you didn't have to play Citadel, then you could make the mana work. But we've made the mana work here, and it actually works, apparently, enough to the point where somebody decided, hey, why don't I play Shrapnel Blast 2? Because 
you, there's only one blue light dual land in Hallowed Fountain. And then it's all five color lands. Spire of Industry, Mana Confluence, Aether Hub. So this sixth place list from the Sunday Challenge, Cheffin, they're just Jeskai. Very similar list, but with four Shrapnel Blast. Now, the big thing is they're playing Springleaf Drum as sort of another five color mana source and Ornithopter but to both enable Springleaf Drum and accelerate out. So they, they have to trim the numbers on all the glitters. They're not, they don't get to play Thraben Inspector, which is just a great magic card. I'm not a bit, they're actually not playing Bomat Courier, which I think is weird. Uh, I, I would be playing that over Hangerback Walker for sure. I think the LC out of Life's Bounty is cute, but probably not that good. And I'm wondering if it's even better than playing a Dauntless Bodyguard, which, you know, like Alcid protects Luris, but does so for a mana cheaper. And I think that's sort of the idea. Alcid can, like, get an indestructible 5-5 through a blocker sometimes, which is nice. So th there's some give and take there. But I ultimately, I think the, like, that one and the three hangerbacks should just be four Bowmat Couriers and really try to lower your curve. But this deck, you know... I want to try the Jeskai list to see if we can just get everything. Yeah, you can have your cake and, and eat it too. Yeah, I mean, the, the mana base doesn't even change that much. They cut the two basic planes that I had and one of the Mutavolts, and they added another mana source to play the four drums. I feel like I know what your next stream should be, Ross. Oh, it's my next stream is definitely going to be trying out this list. Um, so th there isn't that much of a sacrifice. And if you recall, the last time I was playing Is It in Soul, I was actually impressed by Ornithopter. Yeah. Like, just having a flyer. And now with, like, Luris creating infant blockers and all these decks having haste creatures, like all the other aggro decks all play Swift Spear or in some other haste creature, whether it's Gichu Lava Runner or, um, what's the red-white 2-2? Tenth District Legionnaire. Like, they can all block Ginger Brute. So the Flyers have actually been really important for attacking through the, those things. Um, and so Ornithopter is nice. I like Ornithopter getting you four mana on turn three so that you can Luris plus one drop as soon as possible. Just put them to the test. Uh, so I actually like this list quite a bit um, outside of the Hangerback Walkers. And uh, uh, maybe we can just maybe we can just have it all, Tannen. You know, 2020 has been a rough year, but it's starting to turn around if I can just have it all. Playing my Soul, my Luris, and my Shrapnel Blast. Like, that's all I want in life. Yeah, no big, no big deal. Yeah. Honestly, I think you can. Like, I look at this deck and I'm like, yeah, this just makes sense. Like, why can't we just play all the, all the best cards, the most powerful cards in here? The man, the man works. Yeah, I think I think it's like this week was really cool for Pioneer for me. By the way, looking at all these lists, I was like, man, there's some definite innovation going on. There was some stuff coming out of nowhere with like the control decks being good. Uh, we saw what was good two weeks ago not being good now. You know, we're seeing the format cards. It's kind of everything I want in a constructive format, right? Notice we see zero absent rally too. Zero absent rally just fell off the face of the earth. Not very much um, Lotus Breach. Um, yeah, I think there's like one. Yeah, you, and you know you're seeing a lot of stuff like that, right? You're seeing the format constantly changing, constantly adapting, and I, I think it's pretty great. Like overall, you know, I say this a lot, but like this is the kind of magic that I like to play. Where like you know, yeah, you can pick a pet deck and you can go with it, right? Like if you know your matchups really well and you know how to change your deck a little bit, like hey, I think control is going to be a little more popular this week. I think I need to play these four cards instead of that four cards, you know, kind of thing. And like that's that's a big indictment for how good a format can be. And we'll see if this one changes well coming up, because if they're thinking about changing some stuff in Standard and Historic, you got to believe that this format's next. Yeah, and if they change the companion mechanic, then this format is already affected. So, you know, that there's uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about next week, Tan. Okay? We're going to have a nice nice little podcast episode. It's going to be good. And uh, and we'll, we'll I guess we'll just play it by ear and see what happens. But even if they don't change the companion mechanic, as I have speculated... 
Uh, you know, Pioneer looks to be in good shape. And honestly, like, I was worried a couple weeks ago. Uh, and it, every single week since then, it has evolved in some interesting way. And new decks have risen and old decks have fallen. And that's the kind of thing that you, you like to see. You know, I, I'm with everybody at this point. Lurus and Yorian have gotten stale. But it's just, it's literally just those specific cards. And I understand that, obviously, without those cards, the decks would themselves change. But, uh, like, I don't mind playing against Lurus Burn and uh, uh, a little bit against Lurus Burn. Maybe I overstepped there. But, like, the, you know, wide range of different Yorian decks. Um, a few of the cool Lurus decks, like, you know, and Soul has popped up. Rally has popped up. So there's always been other options. It's never been only Lurus Burn for Lurus decks, even though that's easily the most successful one. Uh, but there's always been one there. They just haven't been as consistently successful over a long time frame uh, the way that Burn has. So. so that'll move me on to the next topic that we have for today. And um, this one's going to be a little fun for you and if you want to eat some crow or whatever this week. But we didn't talk about one of the other win winning decks from this weekend. Yeah, I, I said Control won three out of the four. It actually went two out of the four. It went three. two out of the four, so yeah. Sam winning one with uh, and Soul, two won by Control, and then the second Super Qualifier. The second super qualifier was won by another big-named player, Cedric Phillips, showing people that he can come out from behind the booth and still sling some spells pretty well. Cell Dweller himself won this event with... Hold on, let me check this. What, what companion is that, Ross? It is Gyruda, Doom of Death. Yeah, so your favorite deck in the world and your favorite creature in the world. Or do you still hate this? I do hate this. It is just so inelegant. <laughs> and... Oh, it definitely, definitely. That's that's the perfect word. When I look at this list, I'm like, what do I hate about this? It is definitely inelegant. That is a great way to put it. I will say, watching it is a little bit. It, it's a little bit better than I had given it credit for, because especially watching Cedric play it, and he's streamed with it quite a bit recently. The deck can get scrappy. Yeah, and you can create some weird game states with all the different clones and like cloning your opponent's stuff and a little bit of yours and then like Wisp Weaver angeling a clone to turn it into something else while you're just trying to set up a Gabrida turn or having to win without Gabrida if they have hate um, or they like counter the first one and you draw one of the other three. Uh, so it, it's not just all in. I cast my Gabrida on turn four and I hope that's good enough. Um, it does have a little bit of play to it and those games are fun and interesting to watch. Because you're having to get scrappy and play a completely different game plan than you want to be with the card, with the way the cards are situated in your deck, and you just got to figure it out. And you get to do some really neat, cool stuff. So I like those games. The deck on the whole is still, you know, generally heinous, but fine on small doses. We had our dose this week. Hopefully, people bring some more counter spells. You know, the control decks did well. This deck is very bad against counter spells. Uh, you know, you just kind of have to hope your thought not seers are good enough. It's also not particularly good against Soul decks because they have counter spells and pressure. So I think this is another deck that capitalized on last week's metagame. And sort of every week we've seen that happen. Like the next week is always decks that beat last week's decks. And in this case, it was Control decks and Soul and Gyruda. You know, that beat up on decks that were, you know, like Fires of Invention is trying to play this like kind of long game and, you know, trumping you on the battlefield. And both and Soul and Gyruda completely ignore that kind of game plan where Control just has the right disruption to beat it. Uh, you know, and the ever-present deck in the metagame is just Lurus Burn. So all these decks have to be somewhat prepared for Burn. In the case of Soul, you're just not very good in the matchup. So, But not, you know, you're not heinous, you know. But you're definitely behind. So. My favorite part of looking at this deck is when you get to look at the sideboard 
It's just like, it's four Blink of an Eye, four Legion's Landing, four Damping Sphere, two Agonizer Remorse, because your cards have to have an even casting cost. And these are the best two mana cards that we can get. I've seen Extinction Event in this deck sideboard as another anti-aggro measure. Uh, but yeah, you, you don't have a lot of good options. You don't get to play Mystical Dispute, Tannen. Yeah. Uh, that one... You get to play Mystical Dispute. My, uh, my takeaway from this week, though, was that Cedric has now lost count of how many PTQs he's won. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm, the number is at least in the teens, and it might be over 20 at this point. And I just think that's ridiculous that somebody has won that many PTQs. I also think it's something ridiculous that he's played in that many PTQs, because, you know, the number that he's lost is probably higher than the number that he's won. I would hope so that he's not that good. I know that Cedric's very good at magic, you know. People often forget yeah. about how good he was actually at magic, so. Which is funny, too, because the thing that he always talked about, uh, Cedric is self-proclaimed saying, he's like, I'm not amazing at magic. I'm just really good at attacking and blocking. And that that yeah. isn't necessarily something when you look at this deck, you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. He would, you know, he was good with like Kithkin and stuff like that. You know, like those kind of decks, like White Weenie. Cedric is very good at combat, and I also think he's very good at recognizing and taking what his opponent will give him. And so, I part of the reason that he's won a lot of PTQs is that he is just he's better than his skill level when playing against weaker players which sounds like a backhanded compliment and it kind of is but i don't it really intend it that way it's i think it's actually you know an actual compliment um and it because it's some it's something that i'm actually not particularly good at um so i'm generally impressed when other people are but you know he has an idea for like when his opponent is not going to make the block on his bluff attack and like when he can get away right. with it, just as a better sense for those things than most people and so I think he's been able to, you know, leverage that a lot at the PTQ level, and that's just a harder thing to leverage at the, the Pro Tour level. Though there are certain players that do, like, go out of their way to play around things more often. I thought players like Martin Juza, you know, come to mind that are a little more conservative. So I would imagine, like, Cedric probably likes the Martin Juza matchup more <laughs> yeah. a lot of the time. Um, I know when... Uh, I've, I can't remember. I think it was Matthias Hunt who described it to me, like, one of the, the compelling reasons... Uh, the reason he was compelled by matches between Tom Ross and Reed Duke was that uh, Tom is also one of those sort of Cedric style players that will is very good at just taking what you give him. And Reed is another one of those people that does give up a little bit and tries to play around things a little bit more than most. Um, oh, wow. Uh, just, you know, these are just, you know, play style differences, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so, uh, you know, it, it was it's always fun to see that dynamic at play, like how, how much free equity is Tom going to be able to squeeze out of the match because he's probably behind a little bit, you know, uh, in terms of just technical play and oftentimes in just what decks that we're playing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, Cedric certainly, you know, has built a career on just bluffing it, bluff attacking people. I know when I, I know when I play against him, I just block every time. See, I was thinking about this even before you said the word bluff, but I was like, this all sounds like poker stuff to me, you know, like, like a big a big skill in poker is you need to figure out what level your opponent's on and then play accordingly to that, you know, because like it almost, that almost matters that matters more than what the cards are half the time. You need to know what they're thinking more importantly than like what's actually going on because that allows you to play more perfectly. And I've I've definitely gotten better at that aspect of it, but sometimes I'm I'm a little bit too scared to take advantage. Of I would love to taking a risk. I would love to play against you in poker. Don't take that as, a, as a, an offense or anything, yeah. but I would work you at a poker table just because <laughs> because of that very thing right there. I don't, I don't think you're, I think you're probably too risk adverse. Like you're, you're definitely if if you had to be on one side of it, you're more on the side that plays a little more careful, plays around stuff a little bit more. It, it's less risk aversion and more pessimism. Okay, sure. 
it's it's not that I'm afraid to take the risk if like you're you a nit. <laughs> we call you a nit. You, you've seen me play a combo deck. Like I'm I'm you know balls to the wall a lot of the time, and why I say like this is my best shot. I've just got to go for it. But when I'm playing a fair deck and it's not as cut and dry, I just always assume my opponent has it. It's just pe- it's it's pessimism. I'm not afraid to take the risk when it's there, but my pessimism leads to risk aversion. Sure. That's, that's a good way sure, to Sure, sure. Whatever you need to tell yourself to sleep at night, Ross. Um, <laughs> one last thing before we talk about this. Uh, when you're talking about is Guy Ruta the real thing or not, do you know that this deck is actually busted in Legacy? And it won the Legacy Super Qualifier in the hands of Bob Wong. And if Bob Wong's playing a deck, you know, Crystal Puff himself, that is a big, big... Uh, yeah. Well, they get to play Lion's Eye Diamond in that format. So, some, like, you just turn one them when you draw two Lion's Eye Diamonds. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Like, there's the deck has, like, Chromox, Lion's Eye Diamond, Lotus Petals. You get to play Phantasmal Image. Two man, bunch of two mana lands. Yeah. Plays Cavern Souls. Yeah. To get around. It's like, it's like, two, it's like all of the two mana lands. It's Ancient Tomb, City of Traders, Gemstone Caverns, like, City of... Uh, Cavern of Souls, like you said. And then that version of the deck doesn't do any of the scrapping that this version of the deck does. It just casts Gyruda and hopes it's good enough. It's just belt. Well, it has yeah, it has some really cool stuff in there, like that you don't get in this format. You get like Phantasmal Image, uh, Restoration Angel, Phyrexian Metamorph. Restoration Angel and Wispweaver Angel are the same thing as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Phyrexian Metamorph and uh Clever Impersonator, same thing as far yeah, as I'm sure, concerned. Sure. They're the same fucking card. Yeah. Yeah. It is one of the weirdest lists I've ever seen in my life. I have it pulled up on the other screen right now. There are four Grim Monolith in the sideboard. Like, just four... Gr- I saw those when I looked at the deck, and I, I still don't know why they're there. Uh, I'm sure it's, it's probably so... Uh, to play against the other Chalice decks, that pops in my head. If it's other Chalice decks, and they can Chalice you on zero... Ooh, you cut LED or Petal yeah. or both, and you play Grim Monolith and win that way... Yeah. That's cool. That I like. I don't know if that's some next. I don't level know. If, shit. Yeah, I don't know if you know this, but Bob Hogg is a very, very, very good and smart Magic player. Another subject that we wanted to talk about tonight, and it's something that Ross really, really wanted to bring up and talk about this week. And I kind of, I like the idea, and it's going to be a discussion about: Do we think Luris Burn is actually too good? You know, is is it too good of an aggro deck? Is it too good of a of a, of a burn deck? Um, and honestly, I'm kind of leaning yes. Why is that? You know, the, the, uh, so I mentioned earlier that Luris is at its best when you're presenting must answer threats. And Burn does that. But it does so in a very consistent package. Uh, you know, your mana base is smooth, your draws are good, so you, you don't mulligan that often. And Luris is, you know, obviously this incredibly powerful card that really subsidizes that deck very well, or very much. And, the fact that we see burn or prowess, you know, which is sort of a burn deck in modern, being the best way to play Luris in that format too, I think sort of seals it for me. Where like Luris just makes these decks too good because they already have the consistency and the speed, but if you interacted with them early, you were in good shape, right? And now you can interact with them early and still be run over, but this time by Luris, and it basically costs them nothing to put this card in their deck. And, uh, you know, there isn't really anything to do about it because you can't... You can't tune your deck that much against Burn while still being relevant against the rest of the field because it's diverse enough. And at this point, like, unless in Soul really sticks around, and I'm hoping it does, I think it has the power level to do so, um, you know, I think what we're going to... What we're going to end up happening... Have, have happening is 
this rotating cast of aggro decks that are well positioned that pop up. You know, Orza of Auras, Heroic, uh, and Soul, maybe a little Absent Rally, and like other Luris decks basically pop up as they're well positioned. And the only one that stays over a long period of time is just Luris Burn. And it, there's only so long that that can happen before you have to say, this is a problem and we need to intervene. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I brought up, and it's interesting, this is another thing, is, yeah, when we talk about it being too good, right? I know the reaction some people had, and this you know, might be you sitting in your car or whatever it is, however you listen to our podcast. You'd be like, you know, but that deck isn't winning enough, right? Like, it hasn't been winning events, but it's been putting up solid results, right? Pretty aggressively. And we don't mean that it's too good, it's just the fact that, what's the other aggro deck besides, like, Insult, which is, like, just Luris and Soul, and we didn't really have that before this week. It's kind of pushing out all the other options that you have, right? Yeah, it's harming competitive diversity in that respect. And it's not that like Luris Burn as a deck is too good. It's that Luris is too good, and Burn is the archetype that it subsidizes the most. It's just going to be the best Luris deck all the time. Luris is messed up. I think we all know that at this point. When you talk about it, like when I think of all my classic matchups against Burn, be it Legacy, Modern, whatever the versions of it are standard, right? It's always the same kind of thing. It's almost never spells. Like, there's been versions that are just mostly spells. But there's always, like, it's got Goblin Guide. It's got Eidolon. You know, it's got these really efficient red creatures in it, right? And in almost every matchup, you've done one thing. You have uh, mitigated the amount of damage the early Onslaught does to you, right? Like, you don't take a lot of damage from the early creatures or whatever. And then the burn spells can't finish you off. Because you're at, like, 12 or 14, and they only have three spells instead of five. Or they only have four yeah, instead of five. You have to end the game in a certain time frame so they don't draw into that fourth burn spell. Yeah, and you, you cast your five or six drop, the game ends. You know, you cast your Teferi or whatever. You cast your big spell, right? With the printing of Luris and them having Luris in the companion zone, that doesn't happen anymore because you're like, kill your one drop, kill your two drop, kill your three drop. It used to be, in the past, if you were the other deck, right? And the burn deck went like one, two, three. Like a creature on one, a creature on two, a creature on three, and you killed all of them. They lost no matter what. Now with Luris, you might still be drastically behind because the next one they're going to go Luris, threat, go, and you're like, well, I don't have any more removal. Yeah, and, and sometimes even if you have removal for the Luris, now that other threat is getting in and you have they have one extra turn because you didn't turn the corner fast enough and that's enough to burn you out, right? Because maybe you took a little bit of damage in there because they had an Eidolon on turn two, you took two when you cast your removal spell, they got in a point or two of damage with a haste creature and you took one or two there and then they went Luris, something else, maybe you shocked yourself, now that extra creature deals an extra four, and they've got three or four burn spells because the game is dragged on for a little bit longer, and that's enough to kill you. And th- those games are super common. What do you think your win rate against against burn is in the history of playing against it, where in every game they just get an extra shock, or they get an extra lightning <laughs> oh, bolt? You were there. This is the first uh, the first time we teamed with Jim Davis, and I was playing. Uh, is it Phoenix? And this was. You know, a few months after I, you know, won the Open in Baltimore, I think this was like March, and it was right after that next set had been released, so maybe it was like February, and everybody was going nuts about Burn and Modern because of Light Up the Stage and Skewer the Critics, right? So Burn was super It was the most played deck by far, like... Yeah, and I remember I showed Jim my deck before we started, he just wanted to look it over... And he looked at the list and was like, dude, you just don't have nearly enough burn hate. It's going to be so popular. You're going to play against it. Uh, you know, it's, it's just going to be so popular. Like, you need more. And I told him, like, what do you think? I'm going to play against it, what, maybe like 
three or four times in the entire tournament, I think I'm fine. And Jim goes, you're going to play against it that many times on day one. And I scoffed at him. I played the matchup four times on day one. I won every single time. And I'm not kidding. I think I won six games at one or two life. Like almost every game just came down to the last turn. Can they top? I remember getting to actually watch your last turn most of the time. It was like, it was like we had to do the, the butt clinch, you know, the hold. you're like, go. Yeah. And they draw. I I got the relief unclench a lot. Yeah. And I'm always just like, I know I have the stoic, like poker face look on it, but I'm telling you inside of my body, I'm just, you know, the, you know, the Michael Scott gif where he just yells, no, 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 no. That's (laughs) going, I was like, no, no. In my head, (laughs) like, you know, don't draw it, fade, miss. Like it's uh, like, have you ever, have you ever heard me talk about like in poker, especially when I played tournaments back in the day, if I ever was like all in in a big spot, like I was on a final table or whatever, blah, blah. Have you ever told you about what I would do a lot of the times? I would just walk away. Because they, they go so slow putting the cards out. I just don't want to watch. Just tell me if I won or lost. I don't want to watch it. I don't want the anxiety. It's kind of like that semifinals matchup where you were like mulliganing into oblivion. I was like, hey, I need to go use the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, dude, I just can't watch anymore. I can't do this to myself. I care way too much. And I, I know I don't show it. I don't always verbally say it. I care a lot <laughs> when it comes to that stuff. So. No, but, but if, if you gave them an extra shock, I'm pretty sure my win rate against Burn Lifetime drops like 20%. Yeah, and so like it doesn't sound like a lot, right? Like they get an extra two damage. Or an extra three. That is a lot for that deck. There are so many games where they just had that. Even games where you weren't just at two. You know, where they just had that extra spell at a different time. They get it. And that's what Lurus does. And, like, I know you can't buy back Shock. I know you can't buy back Bolt. But, like, you can get back Seal of Fire. You can get back a creature that gets in at some point in time. Because they get to do it when they yeah, want. You can get back Viachino Pyromancer in your Pioneer <laughs> they, deck. They get to do that whenever they want. You know what I mean? Like, whenever they can cast it, like, they, it's, it's not like it's a spell in their hand. That it, you know what I mean? So Normally, Viachino Pyromancer is, like, the easiest creature to trade for. And I'm always, like, putting my Thraven Inspector in front of it or some shitty 1-1. And now I just never want to trade for that card because I know they're going to get to recast it at some point. And usually by the time they're lursing, my goal is to like have a better battlefield and stop them from attacking at all. And, but, you know, if they're rebuying Vision or Pyramids, where they're just getting that free two damage, and that's always important. So it, it really is, you know, the, the deck has basically barely changed since it, you know, got unveiled. The burn decks are like pretty simple to build, but it becomes really difficult to beat them because they're not really linear anymore. They can just kind of grind you out to some extent, especially with Light Up the Stage, uh, in addition to Luris. And they're so resilient now that it's not just like, oh, I'm, I'll just put some timely reinforcements or whatever Pioneer hate you want, uh, you know, in my sideboard and call it a day. Those cards are not, uh, you know, game-ending against them. They're just, they're so much more well-rounded. Luris covers all of their weaknesses uh, while really just costing nothing. For, for the cost of a single sideboard slot, you've mitigated so much weakness in any deck like that. And, you know, to a certain extent, that is also true of Orzov Auras and of uh, and Soul. Like, these are also just decks that uh, do something really powerful and force you to answer their threats early. And now you've, you've gained this resilience, which is why they've been the successful Luris decks. They, but the biggest difference, I think, between those decks and Burn is Burn just is super consistent. In what it does though i do think they should play more lands like every burn list is like 19 lands let's play 20 have you have you played a lot of pioneer in the last couple weeks not in the last like week or two no every time i play against ors of auras or burn i am just praying they don't make their third land drop and it happened and, and same with rogue like 
I win every game where they miss their third land drop. And I do not, they, they win almost every game where they make Well, if they make game. their third and their fourth and their fifth, do you win those games? Yeah, no, the fifth is perfectly fine because of worse. Yeah, true. That's why, that's why. Okay. So, so if like, you just six, never want to miss your third. Six is the number. So, <laughs> yes, and, and like, then six is just then the new four. Like back, you know, when you used to play the matchup in Modern, when they made their fourth lander up, you're like, oh, that's that's good for me. Like that's down a burn spell. Now they're, they're six, but they're also up a, a spell anyway because of the Luris, and it's really up two spells. So now you've got to get up to seventh or eighth lands before you're back in that old, uh, you know, that old headspace. You know, that rough approximation, obviously, but uh, it really is, it, it's very different. And, and one of the reasons that I like the Ensoul deck is it plays 23, 24 mana sources. So you do just make your land drops, and you have mana sinks. You have Ghost Rider Blade, you have Bowman Courier, you have Mutable. Um, and I think that's important. And, and if you were going to try to evolve the burn deck to any degree, it would be to try to incorporate some sort of mana sink. You know, maybe you even want to play fucking Lightning Berserker. Get oh wow! I, I had to think about it for a second. I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that card. That's a, that's a sweet one." <laughs> that yeah, you can cast out. Can you dash it from your graveyard? What's the? I have text dash? no idea. I'm sure someone listening to us right now is a higher judge level than both of us, which is literally any judge level. I, well, I just need, I just need to look at the reminder text. I'm sure it'll say you can cast this from your hand. It says you can cast a spell for its a dash cost. If you do, it gains haste and it's returned from the battlefield to its owner's hand at the beginning of the next set. So I'm pretty sure you can dash. I was gonna say that that sounds dashable to me. So, yeah. All right. Well, I got to say, this is another week in a row that I'm going to say that Pioneer looks amazing. You know, the format's ever changing. Um, the decks are self regulating. We haven't seen a deck where we're like, this is the best thing to be doing this week. And then it was the same thing to do. Like, it's been a while since it's been the same thing. Like, since like Mono Black had Copter. And like, I think there was a couple decks oh, that were there for on. a few we weeks. We had weeks where like, uh, you know, Inverter was, was dominant, or even Mono White, I think, was dominant for a couple weeks. But really, Almost since Ikoria, the first couple of weeks of Ikoria, there there was a pretty narrow metagame, but it's widened since then. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was firmly saying that, like, Modern is the best format. When people would ask us on Versus Live, like, Modern is in, in a great place with so many different decks. I think it, it's awesome. And Pioneer has widened since that time, and Modern is greatly restricted. And uh, to the point where, like, I think you could play Rakdos Prowess, uh, Yorian Scapeshift or some unfair deck and I wouldn't really want to play anything else if I was playing modern um, so unfortunate for that that it really did narrow and there seems to be a consi- like a consensus best Yorian deck and best Laris deck uh, so it's you know those two and then unfair strategies but here there, there's a consensus best Laris deck and a couple lurking around that I still think are good um, and then Yorian best Yorian deck is still kind of up in the air is it is it Esper Control, Zorius Control, Lucifiers, you know, Heliod is still kind of around. Uh, there's Yorian Niv Mizidex. There were a couple Niv Mizidex in those top eights. We didn't talk about them because they were just kind of the same thing that the same thing that they've been, but they're definitely around. So a lot of different variety in terms of Yorian, and then a little bit of Lotus Breach, a little bit of Inverter as non-companion options. So definitely some so a, a lot more stuff now going on in Pioneer than there is in Modern. They've kind of flip-flopped in my eyes. We, we talked about this, you know, when we were thinking about, in hindsight, we should have seen this coming, that Control was, like, possibly a deck to be doing this week. When I think about what to be doing in the next week, right, I still think Control is a good call. You know, I don't think you're going to see people drastically change their decks to beat Control. So I do think this is a good call. I loved your idea to start playing the 60-card versions of Inverter more, because I do think you need to be a little more combo-focused, possibly, going forward, the way the decks are built. 
Um, I do think that going forward, though, you need to, um, when you're building your decks, maybe have an extra card somewhere or two for the control matchup in mind. Maybe, you know, refine your control matchup a little bit. Maybe test that out a little bit more because, yeah, maybe your deck's fine against it once you know the matchup. But when you haven't really played it much, you know, you see these decks in a tournament for the first time, it's really hard to think on the fly, right? You know, when you're sitting down against something the first time. And then the last piece I want to say is, maybe this clone deck is kind of real. Like, maybe this is something you can't necessarily, like, super prepare for, but it should be on your radar. Yeah, it should definitely be on your radar, uh, Guy Rita. I completely agree. As far as what to play, if Control is going to be popular, and Soul is historically very good against Control. I know it sounds kind of weird to say it because they have a lot of interaction. I'm not, I haven't played the matchup, so I don't know how much Fatal Push changes the calculus there because one of the big uh, deficiencies of Azorius Control is not having good cheap removal. Like Azorius Charm and, you know, Teferi is kind of what they do before verdicting you. And both, neither of those deals with, you know, uh, with uh, Stonecrawl Serpent. Uh, which is really good in the matchup against Azorius. You have Mutavault, which is great against Verdict. Luris is obviously going to be great in the matchup, an awesome follow-up to Verdict. Uh, so yeah, that matchup has historically been good, but Oath of Ka- both Oath of Kaya and uh, Fatal Push worry me. That said, I do think we're at a point where the, the metagame is in a good spot for Azorius and Soul. Uh, hopefully people really buckle down and try to beat Luris Burn a little bit, uh, more so that matchup proceeds and the deck is definitely like around in high numbers so people should be trying to beat because that's your worst matchup uh, right when you're playing the soul deck you have, yeah, you're worried about that uh, one. among the commonly played decks i would say that's your your worst matchup and it, it's not like it's you know heinous you're you're i think you're behind game one uh though you can just run away with the game with an early in soul especially on the play and games two and three get a lot better because you get to bring in cheap removal it is very good and if you keep the pressure off of you, especially by exiling their threats, like your Luris ends up being a lot better than theirs. Um, and it, you generally do take over the game going along. So, uh, I, I, you know, it's definitely unfavorable, but, uh, you know, far from awful. And I think the control matchup is very good. I like my matchup against Yori Index. The Inverter matchup gets a lot better when you have Luris in your deck. And it wasn't, you know, horrible before. I think you were a little bit behind, uh, which is why I was playing the deck two months ago. So... This seems to me like the week to be in souling, and I am definitely going to be in souling and take advantage as long as I can. When things change, I'll probably have to change. You know, two weeks ago, I thought I was going to be playing Absent Rally for the foreseeable future, and then Dex that deck ended up being a, a lot less resilient to greater hate than I would have liked. Well, you got to do the thing that I'm always jealous of, right? I'm always jealous of in Magic when, like, there is a best deck for a weekend, so someone gets to play it, and they win their event with it, and then the deck's just unplayable after that. I mean, I came close to it a couple times. Don't get me wrong, you know, playing like Mono Blue that one weekend, you know, where I played it in an open or whatever, you know, just, you know, little things like that. But I've always wanted to be able to... Con- Didn't Mono Blue win that open? It did. They beat me in the top eight. I actually I actually gave the guy the speech, too. We sat down to play each other. I looked at the bracket, and I looked at the other side of the bracket, and, like, what was most likely to happen, which is the way it worked out, Think you know, like, thankfully for him. And I was like, the winner of our match probably wins this tournament or whatever, and he gave me this, like, we were, we were chatting, and he gave me this look, and he was like, oh, you know, like, maybe, you know, like, and I was like, I was like, nah, pretty sure the winner of this match wins this tournament, so I was, like, pretty dejected to win, to, to win, to lose that one as well. Well, you should, you shouldn't have said that, because you basically just told yourself that I'm playing in the finals. Yeah, I know, right? I, I, yeah, it's, you should have just, like, maybe, get that out of Maybe that's head. what they have to do, is, like, the next open I'm at, when I'm in the finals, they're like, all right, you have to win another round after this one. And I'll win that. They'll be like, <laughs> they'll be like LOL, JK, like you actually won the tournament. And I, I don't know. Maybe that, maybe that's what has to happen. Well, okay. 
I'll, I'll just sit off to the side with a deck all set up. Ready to go. Just with like a sign that says, you Next know, opponent. Ultra Finals or something on it. Well, <laughs> we're also making this joke assuming there'll ever be an open again, which is probably not going to happen. Zing. So, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> Ross just had the saddest look on his face ever. Too soon. Yeah, no, right? Well, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. But, um, yeah, I'm super excited about Pioneer going forward. I think it's going to be sweet to see what comes up next week. Like, I, I'm actually very... I'm actually very excited to see like what's going to happen. I'm going to watch your stream quite a lot because I do actually like the idea of Insole being very good. I think you either need to possibly change the sideboard in some way to make the burn matchup better, or just accept the fact that like you're just going to be a, bo- a dog. And like if you change your sideboard too much, it, it hurts your other matchups too much. You know, there's a lot of you know. I've played a lot of I, tournaments. I wonder if Hangerback Walker is just really good against Burn, and that's why the chess guy player had it. I've played a lot of tournaments where I've had a deck where I'm like, I can't beat deck A, but I'm very good against like B, C, and D. And I'm like, I'm either going to dodge it or hope to get insanely lucky if I play against that deck. And when I say can't beat, I mean it's like probably one of the bigger disparities, you know, where it's like 60-40 or 65-35. You know, like they're a big favorite, you know, kind of thing. So, I don't know. We'll see. Um... I just want to play Paper Magic, Ross. <laughs> like, it's my preferred way to play, and it sucks. Also, real quick, I wanted to point out something. Um, the I'm, I need to double-check this, but I'm pretty sure... Oh, no, they didn't do it. I was going to say, I know one of the Azorius decks that did well this weekend had a Prairie Stream in it, but the winning list did not. Do you think that was the deciding factor in their finishes? No. <laughs> okay, sure, that was very uneventful. Not what I was looking for at all. But, yeah. Okay. Sweet. Good. All right. Um, we had no mailbag questions for this week, which I'm a little disappointed about. So much bad news. I guess we'll just wrap it up. Yeah. Before we wrap it up, though, I want to talk about some some cool stuff that's going on. Um, speaking of the mailbag questions. So, in the future, um, I'm thinking about trying to do it this week. If not, we'll try to do it next week. But you may have heard us announce that we're going to start having an extra episode every now and then. And that's going to be available to our Patreons. We're still working out the kinks on everything about who's going to be allowed to get it. But if you're thinking about uh, supporting the show or you have supported the show or you do support the show, this is another way of us saying thank you. And that's an extra episode that's going to be coming out. We just want to put Brent to extra work, honestly. That's that's the real thing. We just want that man to never have free time. And that's all he's going to do. By the way, I got him into uh, Letterkenny. And he messaged me the other night. He's like, finish Letterkenny. I was like, how'd you like the season? He goes, no, I finished the show. Or whatever. He's like, finished everything. You know, or whatever. So I was like, all right, cool. Yeah, show's really great. Anyway, really funny. But um, so, yeah. So if you have some uh, recommendations for what you want to hear on in the episode, uh, it's your episode if you're a Patreon. If you're a patron of the, of the channel. If you're in our Patreon, it's your episode. It's, it's, it's your show. Uh, don't get me wrong. Ross and I can talk about stuff that we want to talk about. It could be the Utah Jazz Hour and the Atlanta Braves Hour. Like, we could do that. But we're already getting quite a bit of questions in the... Um, in the channel that we've made in the discord for it. Should I tease like one or two of the questions just in case, like you let, let, let the people get like an idea of kind of what's going on. Uh, one of my favorites, uh, who is the, I think we might've talked about something. I don't remember, but who is the best person to travel with who makes the best plans and who makes the worst travel plans. And I'll even give a little teaser about this. You're going to hear a lot of Brendan Candio stories in this one from Ross and me. Um, Another one is you can't really you can't really say Brandon makes the worst travel plans when he doesn't make any. Well, no, no, plans. that's not that's not necessarily true. And I hey, I didn't tell them if he was the best or worst. You gave it away anyway. Um, 
we got uh, Karaoke Tales. Is it like some of your favorite Karaoke Tales? Uh, most underrated player. These are just some of the ideas. We have a ton more in here. I don't want to don't give away too much stuff. One of my other person was, what's your personal level up moment? I think that one can make for some really compelling stuff. Maybe some people can glean something of that from themselves. So I'm really looking forward to making this episode. And we're going to see how often we want to do this, especially with the, uh, the kind of response that we get, right? If it's super popular, everybody loves it, we'll, we'll do it more often, right? Also, I'm pretty sure we'll take some gloves off for these episodes. They'll probably be like a little more not safe for work. I'm not wearing gloves I, to begin yeah, with. Yeah, I saw you look at your hands. God damn it. I knew you were going to make this joke. Anyway, figurative Ross. Fig- you, what's the name of that card? Drawskull Captain or whatever? Drawskull Reaver? Oh, yeah, the hands, yeah. You're, yeah, Ross is doing the Drawskull Reaver, Reaver right now. Or it looks like that or the Thriller Dance. But anyway, Ross, if people wanted to hear more from you, uh, check out some of those articles you're talking about, see your stream or anything like that, where would they go? Whew. Step one. Twitter. The website. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I am at Ross Hunnitz. R-O-S-S-H-U-N-N-E-D-S. You can basically find updates about all of my content there. So that's the best, you know, one-stop shop. Uh, I also do, you know, try to answer to uh, people that come at me with questions. So if you just have, you know, questions about anything, that's a good place to get them answered. Um, and I appreciate any follows there. Second, my articles, they usually go live on Tuesdays. That's my regular schedule. If there are deviations from that, I do let y'all know on the website. Uh, But generally live on Tuesday. This week was a regular uh, week, and uh, I wrote about the Azorius and Soul deck. So if you are interested in that deck, uh, saw the list from the weekend, thought that deck is sweet and is up your alley, uh, you can get an in-depth breakdown of the deck, as well as my current list there. Then we have Versus Live that I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time at uh, twitch.tv slash starcitygames. Same place you went to to watch open coverage. Wah, wah. And uh, we just, you know, sit down, have some fun, play some magic. Whatever formats are relevant to uh, uh, competitive formats or competitive play, uh, we play and break down different decks. Uh you know, we do a little bit of everything. Sometimes we just show you the wackiness. Sometimes we show you the best deck. Sometimes we put a deck through its paces and play it in a gauntlet. Uh, but we do a little bit of everything. We answer questions live on air. So if you can watch it live, we have a great time. If you can't watch it live, you can find it on the Star City Games YouTube channel. The Tuesday shows go up the following Friday. The Thursday shows go up the following Monday. Uh, so you can get all that content there after the fact. And then finally, my personal stream. I am Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. Uh, don't have a set streaming schedule yet. I keep meaning to make one, but not doing it. So, you know, in six months, I'll have one. It'll be right around the corner. Uh, what was the thing you always say? Yeah, soon. Yeah. Soon. Yeah. But, uh, I usually stream once or twice during the week. And if you want, you know, updates on that, they'll come on Twitter. And then I stream usually two out of the three weekend days, different tournaments, you know, Modern Challenge, Pioneer Challenge, Super Qualifiers. This weekend is the Lotus Box Legacy event, so I'm just going to play Storm without having played the deck in a year and a half, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, I remember the last time you played it, you and I played in that tournament. Yeah, it didn't go Yeah, well. you got crushed. You got very lucky. That's all, all I remember is you got Oh, yeah, lucky. sure. That, exactly. That's all it is. Yeah, just remember that. It's always luck. It'll make you... I remember you had, like, two turns to draw a counter spell, and you did, and that counts to me. No, as I, had, I had literally one turn to draw a, a Force of Will, and I did. Okay. But I knew it was... It's but even I, worse than I remembered, Oh, it's because... um. It's, I actually going to talk to you about this about after the show because you made me think about it, but what happened was I mulliganed a six and I kept a hand with like a Delver, a blue card, and a force or whatever. 
and you like thought seize me or duress me or whatever and you take my force and i have no way to defend myself but my scry because this is back with the london mulligan my scry was a force of will so i just like draw for my turn play a, play a delver and say go and you just empty your entire hand and i force of will your ad nas or whatever you know you just i just get everything and so you mulligan to do two force of wills. yeah also very so, so here's the crazy part i thought about this and i thought it would have been so cool if it could have set up to where you got to thought seize that hand where I had the Delver in play and I somehow knew the top card of my hand, my deck was uh, Force of Will, or maybe I didn't. And the game plays out the same way, except for for my turn, I look at the top card of my deck for my Delver of Secrets. And if it's Force of Will, I would have not revealed it. I've only done this once or twice in my entire life playing that deck, and I've probably checked, you know, a few thousand times for Delver, where I have perp- I have on purpose not revealed the spell. I would have done that against you in that spot. Just attacked for one and been like, go, and then Force of Will, dude, and you'd have been like, Wait, what? Yeah, you got me real. Yeah, good. I just, especially with the, like the fact that it's on camera. That's one of those like all time moments. Like it's on camera. I would have, I would have force of oh, willed yeah. you. Especially against me, that would have been best. Of oh us yeah, you immediately. I would have force of willed you. I would have done the OSIP. You know the, oh, oh, just like you know, like just can't contain myself. Would have been like set to some Sarah McLachlan song. Yeah, get up, start <laughs> running around the future match area. And the judge is just like, I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> then they start playing. Uh, what's the, um, uh, Yakety Sax? it's that or immediately we are the champions as like the force of will just like comes out of my hand onto the table you like don't even wait for the blue card you just flip the table or whatever but anyway if you wanted to follow me on the website uh that's at the tenaries i just eclipsed 4,000 followers we're also hit the 4k mark this week so yeah big milestone uh if you care about stuff like that if you believe in metrics and numbers and i am wavering around 400 but also an extra 12,000. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm aware that you're more popular than I am. It's great. Um, I did want to implore some people at home to help me out with something. If you want to have some fun on Twitter and kind of with the inside joke here on the cast, tweet at V8 and tell them to sponsor me. I want to be sponsored by V8 Energy Dreams. <laughs> I can't keep a straight face for us, <laughs> but I want this to happen. And I, I think that if we bother them enough, they might cave. Can you imagine me streaming in like a in like a jersey and it has V8 on it? There's one thing I do know, Tannen, and that's if nobody bothers them, they definitely won't. Care. Exactly. Like, we're taking a 0% chance and trying to move the needle, right? We're trying to give it less than a 0% chance, right? And honestly, at my age and the jokes that come along with it, I think that's a, it's the fitting sponsor, right? It should be like V8 and uh, like, what's another like typical middle-aged male thing? Uh... Preparation H. Yeah, that, and I have to go buy. Gain. I have to go buy a vet, right, or a Camaro or something, right? Oh yeah, some some awful sports car. Some yeah, like some that. awful awful sports car, right? And I have to wear ridiculous shades. The top has to be down no matter what, right? And I got to wear a leather jacket. I got to do the Tom Ross look kind of thing. So um, yeah, but join me, and uh, I'm gonna start tweeting at them. I think every week and call them cowards and see if they respond or whatever. We'll see. But uh, <laughs> just so res- you're going to, your your strategy is to antagonize. Them. Well, at first I'm gonna be nice and cordial, and then after a few weeks I'm gonna be like respond to me cowards <laughs> you know kind of thing that's, okay i'm in for that i've already i've already played this. if we could get you involved that's another twelve thousand four hundred. that's a lot of followers ross yeah but our overlap is you know twelve thousand three hundred. hey man look it's an untapped market right that already drinks a lot of energy drinks but doesn't have a healthy alternative to the energy drinks man and people want that stuff dude they want the healthy alternative to things i don't know look i'm telling you i've gotten i've gotten uh messages almost not daily, but like every other day about the V8 energy drinks from talking about it on the show. Someone actually messaged me today and they were like, hey, just so you know, it's only like 15 bucks on Amazon to get a case of them instead of what it is on whatever. I'm like, 
oh, I know. I have it on permanent order. Like, I have it every month they just ship me it. Like, I don't, ha I don't have to swipe my credit card or whatever anymore. I have it permanently done. So once a month, a case just shows up at my doorstep. So you're in a sort of V8 energy drink club. Yeah. So it's like the V8, except instead of getting a different one every month, you get the same one every month. Yeah, because I'm I'm hard locked on one flavor. Because yeah. it's funny, someone was like, hey, what do you think of all these flavors? And I had, I, had a, I had a response to every one of them but one. There's one that I haven't had, but I'm like, I'm just, I'm hard locked on this flavor right here. In fact, can you see this? You're just uh, unwilling to try a flavor you haven't had. What's the one you haven't? Had? I haven't had the black cherry one or whatever. I think as well. I'm no, I'm willing to try it. In fact, if the black next time I high risk. It, the thing is, is like it's it's not. I don't see it in the store as often as I do this one. I've tried all the ones that are like at the store. You know what I mean? That are. I, I guess it's just not shipped here, or like they just don't carry it. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? But I'm the next time it's there, I'll just buy a six pack. I mean, it's like you know, it's like five bucks. I'm just gonna do it. You know, good, sure. good black cherry flavoring is really good. I don't like black licorice. Is this gonna be anything kind of close no. to that? It's just going to be like cherry. Okay, because I'm not a big fan of cherry. Okay, well, it can, I, so I don't like actual cherries, actually. I don't either. But different cherry-flavored things can be very good. Um, the, and that's why when I first had White Claw, I thought Black Cherry was going to be the best one, and it was the worst one. I tried a White Claw. I don't know if I'm going to like any of them because I don't like seltzer water. Like, I don't like that kind of thing. Yeah. They're, well, they're not, they're not very good. I don't like but fizzy the, water. The best one was, was grapefruit. Okay, I can believe that because grapefruit is great. Low key, best one. Lime was second. Lime is and also great. I can't remember. I had four different flavors. I can't remember what the fourth one was. So black cherry was. Oh, mango. Mango was also disappointing. I also well, I like mango, but I got, yeah, I love mango, but it was disappointing. Yeah, the mango peach of V8 energy drink is a disappointment to me because like it has this weird like aftertaste kind of thing to me. Like it just sits on the palate, and I don't I don't like it very much. It's it's, it's the taste is fine. I don't like the way. Do, do you get what I say when I say this? The taste is fine. I don't like the way the taste feels. Yeah, no, I get that. Yeah, you get what I'm trying to say. Like because yeah, because you 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 drink wine, you drink beer, and like some of it like aesthetically is not pleasing. Like you know. On occasion. On, yeah, on occasion, you drink. Yeah, yeah. In fact, man, I need to go make a drink. I haven't had any in a few days. I need to have a few. If you had asked me like how I expected to rank those White Claw beverages, I would have had them in the exact opposite order. It's just the inverse, yeah. You black cherry, mango, lime, grapefruit, and it was literally the other way. Good to know. Good to know. All right. If you wanted to watch me stream, kind of go back to where we were seven minutes ago, um, I do stream at just, uh, it's just Tan and Grace on Twitch. Uh, do a little bit of magic, uh, a little bit of Warzone, a little bit of poker, you know, mix it up here or there. Uh, there's a chance I do a little more magic in the future um, if Standard becomes a little more palatable for me. I'm not one of the people who Standard sucks. It's just not for me right now. It's, I, I'm not having a lot of fun playing with and against those decks. And I don't know, I, just want, my, I want my decisions to matter more when I'm, when I'm playing a game of magic kind of thing. I don't think it's too much to ask. But it's, it's just not my favorite thing. Whenever Pioneer makes it onto Arena... I am going to be streaming all the time because I'm going to be playing Pioneer nonstop on Arena. So I'm super hoping that happens relatively soon. You know, ho hopefully this year because we got nothing else to do, Wizards. Come on, chop, chop. Let's go. Ross is doing the quad finger uh, thing. So uh, crossing his fingers with all... I don't, I don't know if there's a name for <laughs> I was it. I going to say, you can't, you can't leave it at that, Tanner. That does not descriptive at yeah. all. Well, I never thought I was doing anything. Hey, I almost like... I, I kind of drew a blank because I was like, it's like the Vulcan thing, but... but Crossing fingers, I think is the best way to put it. And I was like, "There's no yeah, word." Yeah, basically for that. doing the the live Vulcan long and hand sign, but with uh, yeah, 
with my fingers crossed. Yeah, but so... It's weird. Like, would it have been better if they were closer together? Look, Ross, was... it threw me off, okay? I was not ready for you to make these weird hand gestures and, like... I was crossing my fingers for you, Tan. You look like an alien. I was crossing my fingers for you. I was expressing solidarity. Yeah, I get it. And you come at me with confusion and derision. And just calling you names. Yeah, just straight up. Look, man, it looked weird, okay? I was not ready for that. You threw me off. I was like moving into the the scripted you know show clothes you know trying to do my part you know the, the only reason i'm on the show here is because i'm the responsible one not the smart one or the one anybody actually wants to hear talk i'm here to like just make sure the conversation keeps going and i'm here to derail you at every opportunity yeah i'm aware you make weird so hand gestures guess who won tonight's show yeah was it like were you doing a, a gang sign it looked like a gang sign it was not a gang sign tannin it, i don't know man anyway my fingers so anyway, back to stuff that matters. If you wanted to follow the cast itself on Twitter, that's at Cast Pioneer, and that's a really important follow. Uh, you get a lot of cool updates. We post some cool stuff, but in there, there's also a link to our Discord. You've heard us mention multiple times. Uh, dozens and dozens of cool channels in there. We had another person say they joined the Discord just to follow the food section that we mention every week. And look, I'm not telling you all to not do it. I'm actually telling you the opposite. I never don't want to see your food pictures because... People have been bringing it in here. And here's the other thing. Not only does the food look good, you know, like I'm like, oh, that looks like something I, I want to eat or whatever. But the plating skills that people have been showing have been like 10 out of 10 on like a lot of stuff. Like you could tell they took time to arrange the food on the plate before the picture. Yeah. Our, our Discord community clearly watches a lot of MasterChef. Yeah. Or whatever show it is, right? They, you know, MasterChef, Hell's Kitchen, whatever. And they understand the importance of the aesthetic value of food. Because I'm going to enjoy my food. Look, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with a messy-ass plate that happens to taste good. But when you bring that plate out, I'm like, this looks just immaculate. It's, I'm, I'm going to be let down a lot less often. You know, it's just going to it's just gonna taste better. Anyway, so there's the Discord. And then um, we have the uh, Patreon-only the Patreon only part of that as well, where we uh, you get a little more personal access to me and Ross. We talk about how much we dislike all the regular people in the other section. That's not true. That's, 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 that's not true at all. It's not true at all. But anyway, um, you get your own, you get your own channel in there. Um, you get, you get to get into the, the Patreon bonus episode uh, stuff as well to talk about stuff there. And you get to ask questions on the show. Like we talked about, there's a mailbag submission there. So uh, make sure that you check that out. That is at patreon.com slash pioneer cast. You can just Google it. Very easy to find. If you want to help support us monetarily, we really, really appreciate that. But for everybody else that just listens to the show, that means you as well. Um, yeah, you. Yeah, you. Uh, we really appreciate you. And I want everyone to know that. We appreciate you in any way that you support, you support us, whether it be monetarily or just listening. And we really appreciate every single one of you, even though apparently Ross does not. I do, at least. So <clears throat> I love you all. And uh, with that, we'll see you next week. <laughs>